Hey guys, I messed up again and got midway through this podcast and realized it's going to be a two-parter. So part A is going to be the violent left, Kamala Harris, Camelia Harris, Kamucha Harris, I don't give a fuck, call me a racist, mispronouncing names, you silly rabbit. And then part two will be our woke. So enjoy the show and remember it's a two-parter today, so do part A and B for eight, or excuse me, yeah, eight fifteen twenty is how it's listed. Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I am just being told we have a pick, and it's Kamala Harris of California. Uh, just told in my ear at this second. For the record, those applause were from Claire McCaskill. Kamala Harris is the, the breaking news. Biden has selected the California senator. Rev, we're seeing some of the pictures from the day I was about to reference. Absent ideology or party or bias or any of that, as a sheer campaign event, as a uh, as an event that required advance work and stagecraft, her announcement in Oakland was one of the stunners of this cycle. And as someone referenced earlier, campaign didn't work out so well, but that was a truly exciting event on a beautiful day in California. Uh, uh, what I uh, have said is the president is, is often known as the greatest deal maker. And he wrote the book, The Art of the Deal, and he's, he's considered a, a great, great deal maker, uh, which he is. But I think history is going to remember the president for being a great peacemaker. He brought peace to Israel and the UAE. Uh, he has uh, signed a, uh, as, as diplomats signed a historic accord in Afghanistan. And I want to remind people that we haven't had an American casualty in combat in Afghanistan since February 29th. Uh, he, he used his uh, offices and his, uh, his pressure to stop Idlib from being overrun in Syria and, and brought a, uh, a, a ceasefire agreement when, uh, when Turkey had invaded uh, northern Syria. Uh, a lot of people said that when he came into office that there would be war in North Korea. But through personal diplomacy, his, uh, uh, has kept that situation from, from turning into a, a kinetic uh, uh, event. So uh, it, it's really remarkable, I think, when you, when you step back and take a look at what this president has done on the peace front. Uh, and, and it wouldn't surprise me. It, it'll take some time in this environment, but it wouldn't surprise me uh, if the president's eventually nominated for a Nobel Prize. For the time, the, this, today's work is an example uh, of why he would be uh, uh, rightly considered and, and should be a frontrunner for the Nobel Peace Prize. So I also want to compliment the I am just being told we have a pick, and it's Kamala Harris of California. Uh, just told in my ear at this second. For the record, those applause were from Claire McCaskill. 
Kamala Harris is the the breaking news. Biden has selected the California senator. Rev, we're seeing some of the pictures from the day I was about to reference. Absent ideology or party or bias or any of that as a sheer campaign event, as a uh, as an event that required advance work and stagecraft. Her announcement in Oakland was one of the stunners of this cycle. And as someone referenced earlier, campaign didn't work out so well, but that was a truly exciting event on a beautiful day in California. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 15th of August, year of our Lord, 2020. Going a day early because we have plenty of content, a lot of exciting things, and you can hear it right off the bat. That is MSDNC literally clapping because he picked Kamala Harris. Camelia, Kamuja. I'm a fucker name up on purpose because now that's racist too. Yeah, we got some good stuff. And then you heard about. The peace deal between the UAE and Israel. And I could go into a great Drew Holden thread that is just spot on that he wouldn't get it. The media didn't cover it. Nobody really cared about it. It, It's epic media. But I'm not going to. It's a waste. But. It's just a waste. Today, we're going to go into our usual setup, uh, woke section, violence, the Kamala Harris freaking craziness, and how many new things are racist. Yeah, you got a whole list of new racist stuff. But up front, want to say thanks for all the listens. Been a banner first part of this month for half in and just an insane amount of listens, and I thank you all. And they're scattered all over the globe, which makes it kind of cool. Um, if I sound a little under the weather, I, I woke up with a allergy attack that's just kicking my butt. So I'm a little snotty. And for that, I apologize. So let's get in the show. We're going to knock it out up front. Uh, we're going to play. Uh, ah, screw it. I'm just going to play it together. There's the deal and then we have another thing up front i want to cover so it's not lost but it's typical it's it's our media or peace in the middle east so which is easier dealing with the democrats or dealing with uh, the middle east (laughs) well a lot of people never thought he'd get a this type of deal so i'll i'll be uh, hopeful that we can deal with the democrats the middle east is more reasonable (laughs) (laughs) explain to us and our viewers why the UAE would do this now, what they get out of this that potentially outweighs the backlash and the ripple effects they are currently facing. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Amen. Uh, look, I think that part is really uh, not clear. I think it's very clear what uh, the Trump administration gets uh, out of this coming up uh, to an election. It's very clear uh, what the uh, Israelis and Benjamin Netanyahu in particular get out of this as he's been embattled and is likely to be uh, moving towards yet another election uh, in Israel. Um, It's not really clear what the UAE uh, gets uh, out of this. Of course, uh, you know, it has had a sort of behind-the-scenes alliance with Israel for a very long time. Nobody is particularly 
uh, shocked uh, by uh, this uh, announcement. Um, but uh, really, this also amounts to a victory for all of the anti-democratic uh, forces uh, in the region, including, you know, uh, the Iranians who uh, are at this point, you know, enjoying the propaganda coup of being able to point to the Emiratis and saying, you see, uh, we told you uh, they were going to sell out their Arab brothers, they were going to sell out the uh, Palestinians. Um, so I, I think the people who are the biggest losers uh, in this, once again, sadly, are the people in the region uh, who are struggling for um, for democracy, for human rights, against an alliance uh, of, of regimes uh, that are uh, holding them back from freedom and equality, first and foremost. Let of me course, ask... Palestinians who continue to struggle under Israeli military occupation. Yeah, so to that point, let me get your thoughts. Let's turn to that breakthrough between Israel and the United Arab Emirates agreeing to establish diplomatic relations in a deal announced by the White House. NBC's Richard Engel is following it. Richard, how did this come about? Good evening, Lester. For the last several years, the Israelis and Emiratis have had an increasingly close relationship, but it's been largely behind closed doors and mostly because of their mutual hostility toward Iran. The relations between the two, however, got quite tense a few months ago when the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was threatening to annex the West Bank. The Emiratis said that was a red line, and they say that they got Israel to back off of that intention. And in exchange, they are bringing this close but private relationship out into the public, which is what we're seeing right now. But Netanyahu says that all options, including annexation, are still on the table. It could be rhetoric. The Palestinians say it's a betrayal. The damning excerpts were released as the president took credit for establishing ties between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Not since the Israel-Jordan peace treaty was signed more than 25 years ago has so much progress been made towards peace in the Middle East. As part of the pact, Israel will temporarily suspend its plans to annex parts of the West Bank that Palestinians are seeking for a future state. Without a permanent solution, a Palestinian spokesman said the agreement amounts to betrayal and demanded it be retracted. Now to that historic agreement in the Middle East. Israel and the UAE saying they will normalize relations and Israel agreeing to suspend plans to annex parts of the West Bank. President Trump made the announcement, both sides crediting him with bringing them together. The UAE on the path to becoming only the third Arab nation with formal ties to Israel. Today's deal is preliminary. There's still work to be done to make those pledges a reality, but the momentum is there. All leaders saying that they expect other Arab countries to follow suit. All eyes on Saudi Arabia, the most powerful nation in that region. The common foe, Iran, and President Trump's di disruptive diplomacy mean it is a new day in the yeah, Israel, it said in that joint statement that the president posted that Israel is at least hitting the pause button on its annexation plans yeah. in the West Bank. Caitlin, it, it, it cannot go unnoticed, as you're kind of noting how many people were coming in the room. I took notice some of the language that you heard from the president, right? We don't need the oil. I've kept us out of war. We don't have to be there. He joked that he actually even wanted the deal to be named after him. Um, it is very clear that he... It thinks that this is a we winning re-election message. The, that that can't go unnoticed. 
Yeah, he's always seen the Middle East as part of that. Of course, that's what he ran on in 2016, talking about withdrawing troops. Troops are still in Afghanistan, we should note. But when the president was talking about this, he was saying, you know, I wanted to call it the Donald J. Trump Accord. He said that, and there was a little bit of laughter in the room because he was talking about the negotiations that were happening between the UAE and Israel, something that's been ongoing for a long time. But for them to take this step, that's what the president was praising there, talking about UAE. We'll wait to hear from them, see what their version of this is, how they are touting it as well to see what that means going forward. But definitely it is. it does seem to be clear that it's going to be something the president wants to use as part of his re-election because he's talking about what he said in 2016. He was talking about the Middle East now, and he was trying to say that this is a foreshadowing of what's to come. Now, of course, it's hard to predict with the Middle East, but the president was seeming to say that they want to make more of these agreements. And that's why I ask, you know, why now? Why is this the time that the UAE and Israel are coming to this agreement? And the president was talking about the negotiations that have gone on. He said that he didn't want to shed a light on some other details. It's not really clear what that was that the president was talking about. But we will wait to see, you know, when do these two countries come to the White House for this signing ceremony? They said over the next several weeks, but it wasn't really specific. But, you know, that could be an opportunity to learn more about. It probably is easier working with Arabs than the Democrats or the media. I mean, let's be honest. Yesterday, to show you how crazy things are, Bill Mitchell is an unadulterated Trump sycophant. And he's on Twitter and he's been banned for some crazy shit. Uh, the walls are closing in on anybody who doesn't agree with the left. You're just going to have all sorts of push and push and push. And, you know, there's searches I could tell you that I was trying to find stuff. And what's being shoveled up because it's election season. Google. Apple, fucking, it doesn't name the tech company. They're all in. There's no way they can let Trump get elected again. They hate him. And yesterday, I literally dropped my phone. It was underneath my couch. And I said to the white wife, hey, honey, a new package of wipes are on the counter. That's what I said. Somehow when it fell through, it did the stupid, hey, Google stuff. All right? Which just turned my damn phone on. So when I pick my phone up a half an hour later, the first thing, you see baby dressers, wipes, there's ads. But the top entry on Google, because it heard whites on the counter, baby. The top thing, and I have a screen print. If I had the old Facebook page, I'd put it, put it up to show that I'm not full of shit. The screen, screen print of it, this is what they shove back on Google. Alt-right women and the white baby challenge salon from 2019. They tried to find an anti-conservative, everybody's racist, off wipes on the counter. So why should we be surprised? He literally does something good, and it's bad. Ben Rhodes. This agreement enshrines what has been emerging status quo in the region for a long time, including the total exclusion of Palestinians dressed up as an election eve achievement from two leaders who want Trump to win. Reagan Battalion. A peace deal without sending billions to terrorists to kill Jews in America is not a real peace deal, according to the guy who gave Iran billions. And the whole world basically was summed up by Jim Hampson. Translation. Wah. 
Don't be sad, Unabomba. Still have major wins of sending Iran planes, loads of money, fun terror, and midwifing ISIS into power. Plus, it didn't do anything. It didn't do anything. It didn't stop Iran from making uranium. It didn't stop anything. And then you literally have the Ninth Circuit Court yesterday doing what totally is pissing liberals off left and right. I mean, they are losing their shit over this. It's said that the California law against magazines is against the Constitution. And people online going, well, how do the framers want to have high-capacity magazines and enshrine that in the Second Amendment when they weren't even invented yet? There's some fucking professor saying that, and everybody's all up in arms that they would interpret the Constitution that way. Well, you interpret digital media that way. You say that's protected. Remember, net neutrality was supposed to kill us all. We're all supposed to be fucking dead. But it's a great fucking day if you're for the Constitution. And a stunning decision, Ninth Circuit has ruled in Duncan versus Barreca in favor of gun rights by affirming that California ban on possession of high-capacity magazines holding 10 rounds or more violates the Second Amendment. And why is that important? Well, this cabal... Biden and the squad, now that you have Harris, they want to do more. They want to ban ARs. They want to require licenses, which is basically a gun list to tell everybody where they're at. And you could say I'm a hypocrite because I have a concealed carry. Yeah, yeah, I do because I have to because that's the law to be able to conceal carry a weapon. And that's a gun list. Sure, the state knows where I have that gun. But... The gun list that they want is so that they can red flag the fuck out of you because that's part of their law. Two red flags, which is basically just set up so liberals can say, I don't feel comfortable with that dude over there with the gun and the cops come and take your shit. And their law wants to affect financial measures that any manufacturer needs. It wants to make all manufacturers responsible for psychos who go out and shoot people. So basically, we don't have gun manufacturers anymore in America. And they want to tax the living shit out of ammo. So you are punished for having that gun. The problem they have run into is now the whole dichotomy of gun ownership has changed. It's no longer your right-wing nut job. It's liberals who are sitting in cities that are fucking destroyed going, I need a gun because they don't want police. So that was big. And then we had the jobs report, which was positive. But in typical fashion, to our media, it was doomsday. And one more note on the economy and jobs. The numbers now moving in the right direction. 963,000 workers filed new unemployment claims last week. That number falling below 1 million for the first time since mid-March, but still far above the worst week of the Great Recession. 15.5 million Americans are still collecting benefits.
With those talks on new relief on hold, millions of Americans are still in limbo. While unemployment claims dipped below one million last week, so many families are still suffering. Here's Jolene Kent. Dee Dee Reed was the heart of Dodger Stadium. This would have been my 29th season. Her entire family worked at the concession stands and bars inside till they were laid off in March. It's just scary to not have a job, have to pay the rent, have to pay, make our car payments, pay our bills. With fans not coming back anytime soon, Reed is among the 28 million workers nationwide currently collecting unemployment, struggling since the extra $600 a week of federal aid ended two weeks ago. Although jobless claims dropped below 1 million for the first time last week since the pandemic began, it's still nearly four times more than early March. And there's no relief in sight. With a stalemate in Washington, some states tell NBC News they can't afford to help pay $100 of the new $400 benefit put forth in President Trump's executive order. There is just no room in our budget. We've had to cut so many services. How long would it take to implement the president's executive order and get that extra money to people who need it? We know in Colorado, you know, four weeks is is a good benchmark for us uh, once we get the information we need. Unemployed workers currently receive an average of $332 a week, varying widely from state to state. In Mississippi and Louisiana, it's less than $200 a week. Compare that to Massachusetts and North Dakota, where it's over 400 Back in California, Didi Reed is asking Washington to put people over partisanship. It's so stressful. We don't know what's coming next, and they're sitting there bickering. As hurting Americans hope for better days. Jolene Kent, NBC News, Los Angeles. For the first time in more than 20 weeks, new claims for unemployment benefits dipped slightly below 1 million. One sector still suffering historic losses is the leisure and hospitality industry. Here's CBS's Maria Villarreal. Nationwide bars and restaurants are struggling to stay open and workers are just trying to survive. I bought a house and I lost my job here. General Manager Tommy Donahue says business at this 49-year-old neighborhood bar in Dallas, Milo Butterfingers, has been outright dismal, with liquor sales down more than 50% compared to a year ago. What hurts you the most about the situation? Well, they're my family. We've been together. Most of, most of my 18 employees have been with me between 10 and 20 years, if not longer. The pain is being felt across the food service industry because of ties to several coronavirus outbreaks. In Louisiana, roughly a quarter of the state's 2,567 cases from outbreaks have stemmed from bars and restaurants. And in Maryland, contact tracers found 12% of new cases last month were linked to restaurants. To contain the virus, some states have forced bars and restaurants to close. A record high employment rate of 12.3 million in February sunk to a low of 6.2 million in April. Some jobs have returned, but millions are still unemployed. We traded quick reopenings for what could be much larger and longer term pain. And many more of these restaurant and bars having to shut for good. Back here in Dallas, time is running out for Tommy Donahue's business. If this lasts another two or three months, there's a good chance that we won't make our 50th year. Mireya Villarreal, CBS News, Dallas. And then before we go into the beginning of our Kamala Camellia Kamucha Harris, if things are so great on the right, the left, and they're so happy about everything, 
Listen, th- this is a fucking three-hour show every day on MSDNC. Tell me if a conservative had a meltdown like this, it wouldn't be national news. There's clear disdain that I have for this president, but look at the facts. Look at how he's worn us down from his paid off porn star to Russia lies to racism in Charlottesville, racism across the board, children in cages. I mean, lie after lie after lie, conspiracy theories. Our country right now is really at a breaking point. If we don't find a way to hold this president accountable with his attempts to undermine the post office and also his apparent negligence, perhaps purposeful, on saving the American people's lives in this pandemic. You are pathetic at this point with his calamitous coronavirus leadership. It's killing Americans every day. He could be keeping people alive. He's choosing not to. Every day, this president looks more ridiculous. The clothes fall off. I mean, Mitch McConnell, wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. Don't you see what's happening? You want to hold on to the set? You're going to have nothing at the rate you're going, at the rate you're letting him go. Can't you see what is happening? I know you have a lot of special interests in your state and maybe money coming in from Russia and interests. Your wife works in the administration. But wake up. It's not about losing the Senate. We're losing much more than the Senate. You can be sure that you will never see me on Fifth Avenue. Ever. Ever. Because he has said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. I believe him. I I ask for you to appeal to members of his administration, those who still have a brain, those who aren't somehow brainwashed by the cult leader, or those who aren't such stooges and so interested in their own special interests and the money they might make somehow that they could care for one second about this country. Talk about ditzy. Talk about a ditzy, stupid, botched response to a pandemic that is killing tens of thousands of people, over 160,000 right now. This is on you. It's idiotic. And it's killing people. And you get up there and talk about Joe Biden being wrong? There's nobody who has been more wrong about this than President Donald Trump. Many of those deaths, Mr. President, are on you and your terrible response to this virus. Obvious, terrible response. But you say that children miraculously just don't get it. You're wrong. There's no one who has been more wrong than you on this, and you're the President of the United States. I'm thinking of Tulsa where the Trump campaign took the social distancing stickers off the chairs and squished people together and made them click on a waiver saying you can't sue if you get the coronavirus and die from coming to this rally. How stupid can you be at this point if you follow this president? I beg you not to be for your life. But I ask you, Dave Ehrenberg, is there any legal recourse if you get this virus because of the stupidity of this president? If you're sensing a little intensity here, I'm a little amped up because this is an emergency. 
I played that last on purpose. That's Mika Brzezinski, and that's hate. That's what this is all about. It's all about hate of a person. And our media has decided that it's okay to not do your job. Forsake any intellectual honesty. And regardless of what the person does, we're just going to hate on them. And we're going to make it negative. And le- in less than a year, when Biden is president, most likely, this will be unprofessional conduct. Fox will be the devil. Any criticism will be racist because we are already out the gate with stupid. Before I play pre-pick, listen to this soundbite. This is from CNN. And this, once again, a person that couldn't even win her own fucking state dropped out before anybody started voting and is picked as VP. Listen to this. Is this about what's best for America or your agenda? Or what you did the second you heard the news? And did you honestly think that he would select a black woman, uh, be it be it Senator Harris or someone else? Angela Rye, you and your Harriet Tubman top, I'm starting with you. <laughs> well, I'm starting with Harriet, walking in the spirit of Sister Harriet Tubman today and still just elated. I will tell you, Brooke, the first thing I did, I was on the phone with a good friend of mine, um, who's also a former staffer of Kamala's, and we were talking about, when is this gonna break? Like I had known for an hour, so I'm like, when is this gonna break? And we're on the phone, and I see it flash across CNN, and I just scream. I thought I was going to be on air and be, like, sobbing like it was, um, you know, finally a a relief. But I was so excited. I was like, okay, now we got to get to work. So Harriet is a part of that. We got to get her on a 20. We got to move around the whole agenda. We got to get judges on the bench, and we got to fill this cabinet. So we're just getting started, but I'm I'm so excited. All right, so Angela's got the plan already. Aisha, where were you, and what, what did you say, scream? fill in the blank when you found out. Well, I was just like, oh my God, it's about time. I mean, here's the thing. Kamala Harris was the obvious pick from the jump. And the fact that black women, including, you know, Angela led the charge here, literally had to have a campaign with the Democratic Party to say, hey guys, you know that we are hypercritical to the outcome of this election and that it is time for us to be on here, like as vice president, is to me like an issue and a problem. So I had a big dumb moment. The truth is, is that Kamala Harris was always one of the most prepared, certainly among the most qualified in the nation to lead um, and should have been a no brainer. And so for me, I was like, finally, we did the right thing. But the thing that comes up for me, though, is that this is is historic for sure. But it's just the beginning. I am Mm. looking forward to who else is going to be in this cabinet? Barack Obama had the most diverse uh, administration in history, including so many LGBTQ people that I helped place in the administration. I am looking forward to now us breaking more and more and more barriers and for this to actually translate into black people being in power and some structural changes uh, that uh, to the condition of black America rather than just simply being symbolism. Mm, just the beginning. Um, Latasha, I want to get your reaction, but I also want to ask you specifically, you know, we know Senator Harris brings with her this vast network. There's, of course, her alma mater, Howard University, a prominent historically black university. She is also a member of AKA Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the nation's oldest black sorority, as well as the Lynx, one of the oldest black women's civic and service organizations. And in all of these groups could throw their considerable time and their money behind this ticket. What will that mean for the perception of black political power, not just in 2020, but beyond? And could it make those outside of the black community 
take notice in a different way, Latasha? That's a great question. I just want to say that part of what happened to me when I found out about the news, I was actually in the mirror, my phone kept blowing up, and I saw it, and I got the news, and I didn't know how to respond at first. So what I did is I, at first, I just was like, oh, that's great. And then all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with emotion. I started crying, and the mm. face that I could see was my grandmother, who was born in 1910 in Alabama, and I remember she would take me to vote with her. I didn't know what we were going to do. I don't know if I know knew what voting was but she would take me we would dress up she would dress up in her Sunday best she didn't drive so my grandfather would drive us and she would always have what she called her pocketbook on her list and she would raise her head up and we'll go vote but she held on to that nice new pocketbook it was such and I knew that it was a special moment and all I could see you know I was really happy about Kamala getting this opportunity I was really happy about black women who had pushed for this, but I was so happy about the nameless thousands of black women like my grandmother that the majority of her life, she was disenfranchised mm. from actually being able to cast her vote. And so as I think about that and all of the foundation, how special this is. And so having organizations and sororities like the AKAs and the links and civic engagement groups and power building groups and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter groups. Uh-oh. Oh. We just lose her. We lost her mid-thought, hopefully. Gotta love technology in the middle of COVID, ladies. Uh, hopefully we'll get her back up. I, I know she wants to finish her thought. Um, yeah. Let me continue on. Let me, Aisha, I want to start with you because a couple of days ago, you know, before before this announcement, the, the New York Times delved into Senator Harris's record uh, as San Francisco DA and then, you know, uh, California Attorney General, a position she's held before uh, being elected to the Senate in 2016. And so Harris has called herself a progressive prosecutor. You know, critics say she didn't do enough. A co-founder of the, the New York City chapter of Black Lives matter told the times this quote i'm not 100 percent sold but we have to look at evolution that top cop thing has just stuck she built such a strong brand on it as an ag as the da and it's hard for people to erase that in their memories aisha you know her positions have certainly evolved during her time in the senate but how much of that do you think will be an issue with with younger progressive voters and how do you think she should reach out to that constituency well, here's the thing, you know, I personally, and I would imagine so many people want to see in their leadership a person who can listen, who is extremely thoughtful, and certainly who evolves as they try and test things that may or may not work, and then they grow and say, you know what, let's pivot and let's do something a little bit differently. Kamala Harris has demonstrated that over the course of her career, she listens and she absolutely has lots of room to grow and to evolve. Here's the thing that I want to remind us, and I'm one of those people who also remember when she was AG, remember when she was the quote-unquote top cop, and I hate the language of that. We need to stop using Republican talking points to talk about our candidate. But here's the thing. San Francisco is hardly anybody's conservative bastion. So, you know, let's hold her record up for sure. Let's hold her accountable to her evolution on that. But what we cannot do if we want to get rid of Donald Trump and, like, get him out of this White House is we cannot repeat Republican and talking points. We can't create narrative to defame this historic moment, this historic candidate. We actually need to look at the fact that she, Kamala Harris, is better than anybody who is currently serving in this White House or in this administration and is going to be great for young people, for black people, um, and for America generally. So I hope that we can focus on that and that we can propel this ticket forward and that we ultimately can get Donald Trump out of the White House. And Kamala Harris is a significant key to that. Latasha, I see we have you back. Yay. God bless so the sorry. technology.
Do not even begin to apologize. You were mid-thought, and I just wanted to defer back to you and, and let you finish your thought. You were talking about, you know, her sorority links, and we were talking about just the perception of, of all of this through the lens of 2020 and beyond. So I think what we know is what we all see is the fragility of democracy in this country. And I think the only thing to make it stronger is that we increase civic engagement, that all of us literally um, dig in and recognize that in order for democracy to be the way that we want it to be, to be strong, that we have to engage as citizens. And so I think what we're going to see this election cycle, you know, I think as I'm talking to people, as we're talking about the folks who are supporting Kamala and, and Vice President Biden, but also people who really want democracy and they're seeing the weaknesses and they're seeing that this administration is trying to unravel it. And so I do think that there is a lot of possibility and the potential for us to, as we go into this next phase, to really be an engaged over 50% of people oftentimes don't even bother to vote in the election cycle. So this is really another opportunity for us to engage people deeply so that they're actually the shaping of this nation going forward. The most trusted name in news. Boys and girls, back in the day, I listened to Fox News when I was in the Mojave Desert at a serious radio. And every night I listened to Hannity and Combs. Because that's back when Morning Joe was, Joe Scarborough was a conservative, but he started putting his dick in fucking Mika and became a liberal. And that show was two sides of the coin. And then I'd, every night I'd listen on Fox, because that was on MSNBC, I'd listen to Hannity and Combs. And at that time, Fox was the conservative TV channel. It was. It was straight up conservative. It's no longer like that anymore. It has news, and they hate Trump as much as everybody else. But I've never heard that on a news network. You know, it's really funny that we get towards the end of all this Trump time, because it's it's short. By January, there'll be no more Trump. Because I, I just don't see how he wins with all the things that we're going to talk about today and all the crooked ways the media and the Dems are doing. It, it's going to make the Russia collusion lie look like chocolate compared to what they're really going to do. And I thought, because I I watch a lot of British TV, how much things have changed. The other day we watched Good Morning Britain. We just did it. It was up there. It was from August 6th, I believe. And it didn't start with politics. I don't remember last time I tuned in uh, out of a DVD or a DVR show And it'll be set on our local NBC affiliate out of Nashville. And they're not talking about politics or politicizing COVID. And it was refreshing to hear a news. They started out with world news. There was an explosion in Beirut. And there was stories that weren't political. And then I was watching a new show. We're watching Spooks or MI5 if you'd like to watch it. It's really good. Uh, It's a good show. It's from 2002, I think. But it's about their version of the FBI, because that's what MI5 is. And one of the characters said something. And it hit me, because if you go through the lineage, from the moment this president was elected, there's been nothing but scandal. And every one of the scandals 
has been false. Even the phone call he was impeached for. But every day or every other day, there's a new scandal. And what the character said is a scandal isn't about truth. All you have to do is float it, and then it's the perception, and it wounds whoever it is. And I jumbled it up. It's not as eloquent as what he said, but it's been true since day one. If you go through everything with the Trump presidency, they have made sure it has been cloaked in scandal. Most of them lies. The few that weren't lies were nothing huge, something Obama did on a daily basis, but they didn't care. From the first time he said, Obama spied on me, we have soundbite state people still saying that's a lie when it's been proven it was true. They were wiretapping the campaign. And they kept him wounded. Not one day of this presidency has been allowed to be the president of the United States. It's had an asterisk. They've done collusion. They've done scandal after scandal. He was to be blamed for an African ambush. I mean, the list is so long, I can't even articulate how many ways this president has been besmirched, demeaned, everything. I don't like the guy. I did not vote for him. I voted against her. But it's unparalleled media bias, unparalleled obstruction by the Democratic Party in our country that is beyond un-American. I mean, you criticized Obama. That was disrespect to the office of the President of the United States. You protested Obama. You were a terrorist. And we still do that now. I mean, that's that's their thing. If you protest against what they don't believe in, the media calls it white supremacist. But you can torch whole cities, and that's social justice. And it makes sense that every time Obama was caught doing something wrong. I mean, you really think current time frame, the world we're living in now, there is a possibility that the IRS has been using its power to alter an election. How would the media cover that? It wasn't covered before. The hearings were kabuki theater. It was blown off. Not a single person was punished. And it was all true. And we'll see today that people believe the postmaster general is a bastard. Should be impeached. And we have Hollywood fucking figures Believing the postmasters is purposely, under Trump's orders, stealing trucks. They believe that the post office is removing removing post office boxes so people can't vote in November. I shit you not.
you can say the birtherism is bad, and it is. But we never even pointed fingers at truthers with Bush. And there is no responsibility for the never-Trumpers. Be them conservative, media, or Democrats, they're going to walk away unscathed and start, oh, Biden is the greatest president ever. Because you can hear it already, and this was pre-pick. Before they picked Kamala, we're laying the groundwork. And we'll go through the pick, and then we'll go through the doggone Jesus J. Jehoshaphat. All the things that are fucking racist. So we'll play the pre-pick, do a music break, and when you come back in, it'll be the media ejaculating on themselves for a candidate who never received a single vote during her run for presidency and is a million dollars in debt from that campaign. So if Joe Biden's campaign was dead, black women resurrected it. And the only way to pay black women back and to ensure, right, that he can win, that he can get the number of votes he needs to beat Donald Trump, he needs to have a black woman. So it's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. At this point from us, it's a demand and a requirement. Good news is he has terrific women on his list, any one of whom I'd be very comfortable with seeing on the ticket, seeing in the White House. So, you know, I think he's going to he's going to go with the governing choice. That may very well lead him to uh, a woman of color, as Angela suggests, because some of these all of these women on this list are just phenomenal. They're remarkable. Harris, would she be a good pick, Paul Begal? She'd be an outstanding pick. She'd be a phenomenal pick. And, and let me say, it is noted by this old white guy that the black women particularly <laughs> have been attacked in this process. Right. Yes, Kamala Harris was she was insulted. Oh, she's ambitious. Are you kidding? Have you met Dick Cheney? Machiavelli said that Dick Cheney was too manipulative and Kamala's too ambitious or Karen Bass, the congresswoman from Los Angeles being considered for this. Oh, well, she went to, to uh, she spoke at an opening of a Scientology church in her district. Oh, really? That's a problem. Like she went to a church and she didn't tear gas anybody. Right. Or Susan Rice, who's an old pal of mine. Susan and I go way, way back. Oh, well, Benghazi, there were nine investigations, nine, nine. Every one of them said Susan did absolutely nothing wrong, did everything right. So it has been noted that the knives have been out, especially for the black women in this process. And that is really. As we await Biden's choice, several women's rights leaders are calling on news organizations to ensure fair coverage of whoever she is. They call for, quote, a new way of thinking about your role and how she is treated and the equality she deserves. Now women's groups are vowing to defend Biden's running mate against sexism, such as a column comparing the selection process to an episode of The Bachelor. The discrimination, the stuff that's out there on the internet, the attacks that we've seen. So that's what they are doing. They're anticipating this, and I think it's a good idea. The campaign is also ready to combat racist attacks if Biden chooses a black woman. You mentioned the letter that you signed in yesterday. More than 100 prominent black men also signed an open letter to Biden urging him to pick a black woman and calling out attacks on ambitious women writing this. Was Joe Biden ever labeled too ambitious because he ran for president three times? Should President Obama not have made him the VP because he had to worry about his loyalty when he clearly had ambitions to be president himself? 
What's your expectation, Amy, of what's facing Biden's pick, particularly if it's a black woman? And what should the game plan be, frankly, for what's coming and dealing with it? Well, I, I think we can expect and we're already seeing attacks for the VP contenders, those who are being vetted. We know that for a woman of color, there's a particular ugly kind of attack. And it comes from left, right and center, to be totally honest, as uh, black women and women of color assert themselves as, uh, as leaders. And the attacks, they're ugly and they're personal. Attacks that say, you know, dismiss uh, a woman's uh, ambition, you know, ambition uh, to be president as, a, as if there's something wrong with that uh, are really uh, steeped in racist and sexist beliefs about uh, what a woman of color or a black woman's place is in American democracy. Katie Hill was considered a rising star in the Democratic Party in 2018. She flipped a Republican district in California blue and was part of a wave of women elected to Congress. But less than a year later, she resigned from Congress after nude photos of her allegedly leaked by an ex-husband appeared online, sparking allegations of an inappropriate relationship with a staff member. In her resignation speech on the House floor, she said she was stepping down because of what she called a misogynistic culture that lets men keep their jobs despite far worse behavior, but punishes women unfairly. I'm leaving, but we have men who have been credibly accused of intentional acts of sexual violence and remain in boardrooms, on the Supreme Court, in this very body, and worst of all, in the Oval Office. Joining me now is former California Congresswoman Katie Hill. Her new book out today is She Will Rise, Becoming a Warrior in the Battle for True Equality. And Katie Hill, it's great to see you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. you for telling your story. Um, it's thank a difficult story, but uh, there's no denying that women in politics in particular are faced with an incredible double standard. We are seeing that even in the vetting of these extraordinary women being considered for the vice presidential uh, ticket.
Number one, she is a black woman. She's a mixed race woman. When you see her, you see her blackness. But she is also South Asian. Her mom is South Asian, and her dad is Jamaican. April, she is April, a black April. Woman let me, let me, America. let me l listen. Yes. More power to her, and I think what? it's great. That is, that should be enough. Listen, it is enough that she's a black woman. We are not a monolith. No, 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 They did the same no, thing. No, 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 no. I think you, I think you're not, you're not hearing what people are saying. The people who are saying is she blacking up? That's bull. That's BS. But to 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 want a saying. distinction to the, say is she African American or is she black or is she whatever that what's there is nothing wrong with that there is a difference between being African American and being black um, la people la people Latino people are people of color but they're not black they're brown people she is a okay? woman of color but she is a black woman okay that's she, why I agree with that I agree with that but no, is she African American no 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 but is she African American? That is a difference. There's nothing wrong with that. No one is trying so to take anything down, away from her. Let's go down into her lineage. Let's I think you're falling. I think you're you falling into a trap lineage, of that. All she had to do was no, say, "I am black, no, I'm but not I'm not African American." That's it. John, let me say this. I'm I not falling into a trap. I'm not falling in. Let me, wait, let me, wait, let me finish. Hold on. I'm not falling into a trap by that. When, when, when she goes down her lineage, many Africans landed on in Jamaica and all these other Caribbean islands. So she could indeed Jamaica's be African American, mixed with others. But she Jamaica's is Jamaica's not America. But she is a black woman. She Jamaica was born did not here. Come in out of Jim Crow. Okay, well, let's, let's go saying. into Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz I'm was born in Canada. I'm not talking about Ted Cruz. This is not Cuban. about Ted Cruz. You're changing I know, the subject. But you know what? We can't. Obviously, you and Senator Harris are on the opposite sides of the political aisle. What made you decide to want to reach out to her? 
Uh, you know, I had a great discussion with Geraldine Ferraro when I was chosen. I called her, and um, uh, we were able to kind of bond over, um, you know, this unique experience that she had had and that I was ready to have. Uh, so, you, you know, I wish that more uh, people, more women would have reached out uh, to me at the time um, because, you know, it, it, it was a tough job, of course, um, running for that office. Camel, uh, she, she's more, um, uh, I, I think she's in a better position in, in terms of what to expect uh, than I or Geraldine Ferraro back in the day because, um, again, you know, people have come before her to be able to run. And um, here, you know, we see the, the big feminist list of women who've already come out to support her and kind of saying, you know, hey, media, keep your hands off her when it comes to um, some issues that maybe uh, you're gearing up to attack her for. Nobody did that for me. Nobody did that for Geraldine. So she has a, a bit of a privilege there. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how she handles that. But I hope that the media will treat um, her candidacy um, not as um, personally rough as they um, treated mine, uh, because a lot of uh, the coverage of me was quite unfair. And I'm not saying that as a victim or a whiner. I'm saying that as fact. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that they will um, treat her fairly, but at the same time, um, no kid gloves. You know, uh, the American voter wants to know that we have the most capable people running and who will be elected, regardless of gender, regardless of race. Yeah, remember, boys and girls, she's actually not black. But the media is not going to say that. That was April Ryan and fucking Don Lemon arguing about her her bona fides as an African-American. Yeah. And that was Blue Sicario, Evil Ways. It's actually the theme song to Zona's Awesome Fishing Show, and I freaking love the song. I played it. So we have then to show how fucking incestuous this all is. Kate Benningfield is actually a campaign manager for Biden. These are actual tweets. Shout out to all our beat reporters for surviving some of the most painful news cycles of any presidential campaign. Virtual high five to all of you. We did it, guys. Yes, we, the campaign and the press, who work together every day, often at odds with each other. Very complicated, I know. And the world. So you're admitting that they're your co-workers? Memo to staff. Congrats, fellow Democrats. CNN. Joe Biden made the pick that maximizes chances of continuing to make the race a straight referendum on Trump while also selecting someone who resumes su resume suggests being ready to step in if and when Biden decides to step aside. Chris Saliza. Step aside. Because they want him to step aside. He also did a whole thing that absentee balloting and voting by mail is the same thing. Whole article. Snotty. You're an idiot. You're a Trump piece of shit. If you don't think that's the same thing. And of course, the world responded, it isn't. Absentee means you're absent. You're not going to be there. Vote by mail is, I don't want to go there. And the funny thing is, the reason why it's, it's always, every, everything's always 
so confusing in our society and so judgy by people in the big cities because they believe what they do is the only thing that should be done. And what do I mean by that? Well, they believe that there's 25% gay because they see 25% gay. They believe that if you live in a rural community and you have to commute long distances, you're a fucking piece of shit and you're killing the planet because I don't have a car at all. That's that's the way they do it. So in red, blue states, yeah, they've had a shitload of vote by mail. They've been doing it for a long time. You know one of the reasons? Because the races don't aren't decided on a few votes. The races out in the fucking hinterland of Portland, it doesn't matter what my parents vote. My parents can vote. They're, they're not going to affect anything. It is a blue state. You can be a potted plant with a D behind your name, and you're going to win in Oregon. You just are. So they're so stuck on this. It's almost amazing how stuck they are. And I know I'm putting the horse before the car because it's not even what we were talking about. But it all goes hand in hand. You, you think because she's black and she's a female and that's your world. That's the only qualification she needs to be vice president of the United States by your standards. Anybody despairing, what the fuck is wrong with you? She's awesome. Because that's their world. They're bubble dwellers. They don't know that people in America live so different everywhere. That their norms, their values, their daily lives... They don't understand that. And that's why our press is so out of touch. Oliver Darcy, another CNN troll. This is false. Nick Pasilio is a spokesperson for Twitter, not the person who makes platform pronunciation. And guess who he works for? Harris. So now we have, as Sisters Told You said, here's Oliver Darcy, white knighting for one of Twitter's senior spokesmen, who's a former comms guy for Camelia Harris. There's no conflict of interest, yet postal workers taking down post office boxes that haven't been used forever is a huge conspiracy, and they work for the Nazis in the Trump party. That That's the same people. Their logic makes no sense. They don't care. Reza Aslan, another CNN ex-employee. Biden-Harris, we won't kill your kids. They thought that was that was cute. WAPO, Harris is a small-c conservative, partly friendly pick, which makes her just right for Biden. Gabriel Hoffman, small-c conservative. Is this a joke? Who keeps writing these op-eds? Camelia Harris is far left as they come. Understand, I got mugged. Digitally mugged the other day by a lady because I just put a simple list of things they want to do. Let's just do the stuff that isn't, uh, you know, lifestyle. Okay, guns. We, we know the guns. They want to take all your fucking guns. I already ranted about it. But they want to take away private health care. 
She has said that. They're going to take away private health care. We're going to have the liberal dream of fucking single payer. The government is going to run your health care. That's what they want to do. If you don't like that, you're a fucking racist. They don't want borders. They don't want police. They don't want ICE. They want to make all illegals legal and allow them to vote and get welfare and everything. And so I listed those things. This lady lost her shit. She's a local rep for fucking Harris campaign and said, and all these things are Biden. This is so idiotic. Guns and this and that. This is just so fucking stupid. And I went and put a a fact-finding link for everything I said. HR 5717 is the guns. Her saying she wants to do all this stuff. And I, once again, I said I'm not a Trumper. But this is extreme. Those are the things she said. And Biden hasn't had to answer a single question, so he must be for it. She used my tweet as her pin tweet. I then blocked her and called her a troll because I wasn't going to be used as her, you know, the one tweet just listing it. As her, let's get out the vote because these crazy Nazis. And it struck me how these people, they just don't fucking care. They don't care what they said. They don't care that it's going to infringe on rights. Because in their mind, because they know how the liberal mind works, it isn't going to affect them. That's those red state people. We're going to punish you. And that's the difference between right and left. Right gets power. They don't punish. They put through policies. They usually compromise on those policies. And let's be honest, the last election cycle that really meant anything, it was to repeal Obamacare. Did they actually do it? No, the courts did it. And then they undid it. And now it's broken. But they didn't put a bunch, everybody has to have a gun. They didn't ban all abortion, which their base wants. But the left, they do what the far, far, far part of the party wants. They don't do what the normal people want. Just liberal people. And so they say all this stuff and they know it. And then the media knows, well, what the fuck? Who's going to vote for that? Only 18% of the country's for all this shit. And they start spinning. New York Times, Senator Camelia Harris, California's Joe Biden pick for vice president. A pragmatic moderate. She is the first black woman on a major party ticket. Ben Shapiro. Harris is a far-left radical with a shocking inability to connect on a personal level. She rehearsed and mechanical. Her record is wide open for serious attack. She adds nothing to the Biden ticket other than checking some boxes for Twitter blue checks. Camelia Harris' position, banning fracking, banning plastic straws, using executive orders to ban assault weapons, phasing out private health care insurance, nearly complete restrictions of religious freedom to private sphere. Yes, she's a pragmatic moderate, guys. It's the same list I had put out before he put his out. And I literally said about the religious freedoms. Religious freedoms for everybody but Christians. And how'd that idiot read it? Oh, you're only saying Christians get religious freedoms? And I linked her to articles showing that mosques are still open in America, but churches aren't. Because the left... 
believes that's okay. Maggie Haberman, in some way, in the same way that Obama asked Clinton to be Secretary of State after brutal primary, Biden is chewing the person who dinged him hardest on stage. His team knows this and is betting people realize it's something Trump, who lives in grievance, would not do. They seriously see this as a great thing. And then they know it's not a good thing. So then they start the stupid. Here's two sound bites. Mispronouncing racist. And say a person, a black person's name wrong. Yeah. You say that. You're fucking goddamn grand wizard. But he's talking about Joe Biden trying to win back suburban voters. And he's decided now to name a certain name. Listen. They want to put low income housing in the suburbs. And I ended it. I signed three weeks ago. I signed a regulation which will end it. And uh, the suburbs will be the suburbs again. Biden wants to reestablish that program, but make it much worse. And they recommended Cory Booker to be in charge. Cory Booker is going to head it up. He's going to be the one that tells you what to do and destroys your your housing and your area. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but my first campaign was 1988, and I lived through the Willie Horton ad. Uh, Naming a black man uh, seems pretty clear to me what the president's trying to do. There's Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey. The the idea that he would even be sort of put forward, it it really scratches your head unless you sort of see that the dog whistles that the president is pointing to, talking about low-income housing, talking through these code words about suburban housewives being having their housing threatened and having their their safety threatened by low-income people coming into their communities. It's very clear that he's looking at this through a racial lens. He's trying to scare some moderate white voters who may be on the fence about his campaign, who may not like uh, his rhetoric, but he's trying to say, I'm the only thing protecting protecting you from, you know, tons of people coming into your neighborhood and making it look not like it used to look. And he said he's going to make the suburbs great again and sort of this throwback to, you know, the 1960s and the 1970s. It is a throwback. And uh, it's, you know, uh, be afraid of them is what the president's trying to say. Um, as you know, uh, the country has changed. The suburbs have changed. But it is clear, Caitlin, that, again, a lot of people around the president say, sir, this is dangerous. The president clearly likes, I'm going to call it the culture debate here. I'm a big fan of the NBA. I'm also a big fan of the First Amendment. The president. So if you watch last night's show, you may recall that during the opening segment, we apparently, unknowingly, mispronounced Kamala Harris's name. It is pronounced comma, not semicolon, comma, like the punctuation mark, a la Harris. Fine. It was a mistake. But it was treated as an act of bigotry, a grave offense against the honor of a sitting U.S. senator. CNN was outraged. All the things going on in the world said they wanted you to know that someone out there had mispronounced Kamala Harris's name. I want you to listen to how Tucker Carlson, the, the best he could do was to somehow mangle her name. Listen. Just tell Kamala Harris what to say and she will say it. That is the whole point of Kamala Harris. I call him Schmucker Carlson, but it's an ethnic term, so he might not understand. <laughs> but then at the end, it's laughable because he's like, or whatever. So it, it's like, no, it's not whatever. It is about you having to finally face what you have done to this country, to black people, to black women. There's nothing or whatever about this moment. <laughs> We actually try not to play that tape like that very often because it's not edifying and those people are so personally unhappy they're already suffering. 
But this was just too amusing, so we, we had to. By the way, all of CNN turned out last night to watch this show. One of them, who's paid by CNN to watch this alleged a conspiracy, tweeted that, we claim this was unintentional, but our show often does mispronounce the names of people we're critical of. It's the sort of thing on his show. It seems pretty intentional, exclamation point. Then a senior political analyst at CNN even claimed the pronunciation was an attempt to play the victim in the story because Kamala Harris, quote, didn't appear on the scene yesterday, whatever that means. So, but the bottom line is, look, any criticism of Kamala Harris is immoral. Anyone who so much as mispronounces her name is a racist. That's what they're telling you. So with that in mind, Pretty amusing to watch old Joe Biden himself mispronounce Kamala Harris's name today. Watch. I told him I wanted to be the last person in the room before he made important decisions. That's what I asked Kamala. <laughs> it's just too awesome. Just when you think darkness is descending, old Joe Biden shows up and the sun begins to rise. Rescued again by Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe. Kitty's editor. We're delighted to have him tonight. Now, don't you mispronounce her name, Chadwick. She may be a sitting United States senator, but she's a holy person. Check your privilege, pal. Well, I'm so confused by this because I thought this was over her last name, which, as we all know, is actually pronounced Khari. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, very African, extremely That's African, uh, by way of India and Canada. Uh, yeah, but you know, Kamala, you, this is the height of disrespect, is, um, just, is daring to uh, pronounce a name, I guess, the way it sounds, or the way it's, uh, the way it's spelled, rather. Um, let's not talk about how she disrespects people, how the media disrespects the president constantly. If the only thing they can compla complain about is a simple mispronunciation, uh, what about how Kamala... I don't know, disrespected Brett Kavanaugh during that ridiculous hearing. She was monstrous then. What about uh, how she disrespected her own running mate when uh, she called him a racist? When she said she believes a woman that sexually, that accused him of sexual assault. Is that disrespect or was that just... Good question. Were you surprised... Yeah, exactly. Were you surprised that Joe Biden apparently didn't know how to pronounce... And by the way, I'm taking this on faith <laughs> that that's how you pronounce her name. But were you be able to answer any of them? I, I think we'd have 20 different pronunciations. I think we'd have 20 different names, to be honest. I don't know if we we might get a Kamala once, a Kamala, however you say it. Um, but uh, no, I, wouldn't, I don't think anyone's really surprised that he made uh, that mistake and we'll probably make it many, many, many other times. Yeah. Um, I still don't really know what, how we're supposed to say it. Um, but uh, of course, the media is going to ignore that. Why, why would they give that any attention? Uh, when they can um, try to dig up uh, little barbs elsewhere, um, they've uh, they've obviously uh, gone head yep. in. They've forgotten, you know, how she almost failed and and how she uh, uh, did horribly in the primaries. And now they've just sainted her. They sainted her. And how dare you mispronounce her name, Chadwick Moore? Great to how see you tonight. You. Thank thank you so much. You too. Kamala, like the punctuation mark. Comma. We're going to put that in our scripts just to show no disrespect. Later in the show, we will. Each night, CNN and Media Matters watch Tucker Carlson because Tucker Carlson is the number one show on TV. And they lose their shit and they ran that all over the place. Pepsi retweeted it and made a big deal about him saying her name wrong. So what's the first thing he did? Show that Joe Biden doesn't say it fucking right. Half the media doesn't say it right. And mispronouncing names isn't racist. But in our crazy upside down, we don't have a way to defend how fucking inept 
our candidate is, being Biden, and how fucked up she is. Well, we're just going to make anything racist, because that's the way you do it. Don't talk. Don't actually answer questions, as we'll get to. Don't fucking actually have any reason to have to justify any of your fucking extreme policies. Just call everybody fucking racist. Work for fucking Obama. He got reelected on that shit. He said after the election, I'll do a whole bunch of shit. Way worse than Ukraine. Motherfuckers would have impeached him. Oh my God, we would have had rioting early. So the media was all the fuck in. Except for the end of this soundbite. I'll put a break between it. Here's the media ejaculating and fucking stimulating their prostates over this. Except for a few like Chuck Todd. She's not liberal enough, he says. Because they're the part of the campaign, the process, where they go, Okay, you journalist over here. We want you to say she's actually not liberal. Because people will actually believe that stupid shit. And then we don't look like we just fucking put a totally libtard vice president that only 18% of the goddamn country wants. And we can still run with the fucking Joe Biden as a fucking moderate fucking lie. This is a CBS News special report. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. We are coming on the air with breaking news. The wait is over. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden has chosen Kamala Harris as his running mate. Harris is 56 years old, a former federal prosecutor, a former attorney general of the state of California, and she has represented that state in the Senate since 2017. The announcement was made just moments ago uh, via text message to supporters. Some 83 days are left between now and Election Day, but even before Joe Biden officially clinched the Democratic Party's nomination for president back in early June. He had made clear he wanted a woman on the ticket beside him. And in recent weeks, he's interviewed a number of possible candidates, including a number of women of color. The choice of a running mate is arguably one of the most important decisions that he has made to date. He turned 78 years old shortly after Election Day and would be the oldest person to become president if elected. Nancy, uh, what is her uh, reception on the Hill like? How is she viewed? What do you see as her main uh, sort of legacy item as a lawmaker? Well, she is viewed, Margaret, as a, a very formidable interrogator, a legacy uh, uh, from her role as California's attorney general. As soon as she got here, she was placed on a quartet of very high-profile Senate committees, the Judiciary Committee, Homeland Security, Intelligence, Budget, a reflection of the fact that uh, she was very adept at grilling uh, major players in the Trump administration and clearly from the very beginning also had higher ambitions. And so I spoke to a a Senate aide a short time ago who described her this way. She's someone who can excite the base without upsetting moderates. And certainly Democrats are hoping that she will make Vice President Mike Pence nervous when she goes up against him in their one and only debate. And then you fast forward uh, a bit to 1972. Shirley Chisholm are uh, launching her bid for uh, the White House in, in January and saying after she lost that one of the reasons that she wanted to run was to really expand the imagination and expand America's imagination about who could be a president, who could lead. And so now we have uh, Kamala Harris almost 50 years after Shirley Chisholm ascending uh, to uh, this uh, nomination.
and listen, this, if you're a black woman who ends up in this position, the kind of hard work you have to do uh, to first be, uh, you know, in those positions in California, uh, attorney general and then senator, she's only the second uh, black woman to be senator uh, in this country. The enormous amount of hard work and focus uh, and grit she has done over this last many uh, decades in her career uh, to get to this point. And so, yes, this is an historic day. And I think if you think about Kamala Harris, she herself, a fighter, right? Mm -hmm. Joe Biden certainly didn't like what she did in that debate, but it proved that she was a fighter. If you think about the viral moments uh, she's had with people like Jeff Sessions, people like uh, Gina Haspel, it was about being a, uh, being a fighter uh, and being aggressive. And I think if, if you're Joe Biden, that's yeah. one of the qualities uh, you want to see in a partner. Just a remarkable moment. Uh, Kamala Harris has been selected as Joe Biden's vice uh, presidential partner, running partner, and she is the immigrant of um, Jamaican and Indian parents. Really a remarkable rise, as Nia Malika had pointed out there. And as you pointed out, Nia, she is a fighter. It's also a moment for uh, Joe Biden and for the country. I know Joe Biden in the past has talked has talked about being a bridge to the next generation. And what we see here is not so much a bridge, but somebody who is embracing the next generation, who has said, I'm gonna be transformational by choosing a black Obviously a, uh, a fascinating choice, a historic choice uh, in, in this extraordinarily historic year. Yeah, and the history is key here. I mean, I, I just, I, given where we are in the country right now, in this moment, in time, Joe Biden choosing a barrier breaking kind of choice for his running mate, uh, you know, that's that should just not go unnoticed. She's a history maker. There's no there's no question about it. And, you know, the one thing that um, I just want to emphasize that I mentioned earlier about the notion of representation, we've seen and heard so much about representation mattering, um, particularly since the whole country exploded and changed in a very good way after uh, the the murder of George Floyd. I mean, this is this is a sign of those times. This is the ultimate in politics and representation mattering. I don't think we've said enough in the past couple of hours that, in my view, this was a very safe choice. This wasn't surprising. This was the conventional wisdom. I think there's a reason for that. I don't think Joe Biden wants a surprise. I do want to go back to something that David Gregory said, though. This idea that Joe Biden picking a woman of color is a safe choice, I wholeheartedly disagree. If you know anything about racism, you know anything about sexism, and you've been on the other end of those very powerful forces in American history, and certainly in American uh, political history, then we know that this isn't a safe choice. I mean, if you look around, how many black women CEOs are there? How many black women governors are there? None. How many black women senators uh, have there been? Two. How many black women bosses have any of us had, really? We begin here tonight with the news that broke late today, the historic decision from former Vice President Joe Biden, revealing today Senator Kamala Harris was his choice for a running mate. The campaign posting this image of Biden at his home in Delaware today in a Zoom chat with Harris, asking her to join him on the ticket. If elected, she would be the first woman vice president, the first African-American vice president. She would be the highest ranking Asian-American in U.S. history. In a statement announcing his decision, Biden called Harris smart, tough, and ready to lead, saying she'll be the best partner in the battle for the soul of this nation. 
News of Biden's choice spread across Twitter. In fact, what they call a heat map right here late today. It shows where the tweets were most concentrated when the news was announced and how quickly it spread across the country. Tonight here, who is Kamala Harris? Her childhood, her firsts, the history she has made already. And what about all of that talk after Senator Harris took aim at Biden on the debate stage during the primaries? And the former vice president himself and his own notes on Kamala Harris in recent days captured in a photo in his own writing, writing, do not hold grudges. It seemed to be a major hint that this was coming. And tonight, President Trump just moments ago weighing in on this pick. ABC's Mary Bruce leading us off. Tonight, for the first time in our nation's history, a black woman is on the ticket. After weeks of speculation, Joe Biden this afternoon over video chat informing Senator Kamala Harris of his historic decision. Even before Biden announced his decision, the Trump campaign warned they would try to paint Biden's pick as a radical. Just moments ago, the president himself attacking Harris. The president just before we came on the air tonight. And John, what are you hearing from the Trump campaign tonight? We know this fall Kamala Harris will be on that debate stage up against Vice President Mike Pence. Well, the Trump campaign will make a big deal of the fact that Harris criticized Biden so harshly during the campaign. They'll try to portray her as a far left progressive. But she is a tougher target than many of the others. See both of you. Serlina, I don't know many women whose phones weren't blowing up after yesterday. Uh, tell me, tell me about the aftermath. What went through your mind and what's your reaction? Well, it was just the kind of pure joy that you can only feel when you finally see yourself reflected in the halls of power. And I think that for so long, uh, women everywhere, uh, particularly uh, since 2016, uh, and that trauma we experienced have been uh, a little bit low and, and, and feeling anxious in COVID and anxious in this Trump era. And I think that this is the ultimate validation that women and particularly black women should be in positions of power. I think, you know, there's a there's a phrase, Chris, uh, black girl magic. It's an affirmation uh, that black women are prepared. We're excellent. We're hardworking. And I think what Joe Biden did yesterday by selecting Kamala Harris, it was the ultimate validation of that truth that black women are prepared. We're precise and we're ready to lead. We empower this party through our votes and our organizing, and now we're going to do so uh, by being the second in command if they should go on to win the election. And This is an immensely important moment, not just for Senator Harris, but possibly for the next generation of American politics writ large. It is quite possible that Nixon, Bush, Gore, Biden, quite possible that we will be discussing Senator Harris in that in that sense in that context for years to come because she does represent not necessarily a new america i always resist that because america's always been diverse but it's the first time in a long time we have fully recognized that diversity the country itself as we understand it today is about 55 years old and one of the things about the trump presidency is it is a mm. reaction to the reality of that what I would think of as almost Harris's America. I think he wants to send the message, hey, this is, you know, he doesn't hold grudges, number one, but he does want somebody who's tough enough uh, to campaign. I think she is a really good campaigner. Yes, people will look back on her presidential campaign and say, geez, she struggled a little bit. And I would argue one of the reasons she struggled is 
she was, you know, is she a progressive? Is she a pragmatist? And, you know, she was somewhere, someone in between, if you will, sort of in between Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, which I think is another reason why they picked her. She's, she's is seen as somebody, I think, who can be a bridge to the progressive community, though you'll see some progressives hand ring today. They're not going to be, you know, they, that was why you saw a boom lit for Karen Bass, who's seen as more progressive, more to the left of, of Kamala Harris. Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. He is a longtime friend of Joe Biden, who's been working on behalf of the campaign and every Biden campaign, I think, since you were a young man. Senator Coons, thanks for being with us this morning. I know you spoke to the former vice president not long after the selection went public. So what did he tell you about why he chose Senator Harris and why he's excited about this pick? Well, John, uh, Joe and Jill Biden were excited about Kamala Harris uh, being Joe's running mate, uh, being someone who's got experience, uh, not just on the campaign trail, uh, but governing someone who ran the largest law office in our country. As attorney general, she was elected statewide twice. Uh, she was responsible for 7,000 attorneys uh, in the Senate. She served with me on the Judiciary Committee. She's also on the Intelligence, Homeland Security, and Budget Committees. Uh, Joe feels that she's seasoned. She's got experience. She'll be not just a great running mate, but a great partner in governing, uh, and that she will help him fulfill his promise that the ticket, now the Biden-Harris ticket, will look like America, will represent uh, the strength that immigrants bring to our country, the racial diversity that we need to make progress. You know, you come from, I think, admittedly, more of the center of the Democratic Party than perhaps some progressives who ran for president, who ran against Senator Harris and former Vice President Joe Biden in the primaries. And there are people in the party this morning who, who may not be as enthusiastic as you are about the Harris pick. People who look at Senator Harris's record when she was attorney general and district attorney who say she didn't do enough to fight um, police brutality. This is one quote from Dave Campo, the chairman of the San Francisco Democratic Party, who said, you have someone saying all the right things now, but when she had the opportunity to do something about police accountability, she was either not visible or when she was, she was on the wrong side. So what's your message to that progressive wing this morning? fucking people are insane they're so fucking full of shit you just wouldn't get a you just i, I just I, I fucking i can't even speak sometimes how do you do this for one party and and just get away with it and i put palin in on this bumper because do you remember how she's treated i mean we're gonna cover it in a second it's just fucking unbelievable how they're either forgetting that they've done this just a while ago And how they treat conservative ones. If you're puffing, I got a about a sampler pack of uh, League of Provada number nines. I was we were supposed to go to the beach this year, but we didn't go because of COVID and all that shit. So I actually decided today let's bust out the sampler pack, and you get a little uh, petite, a couple Coronas and a Toro in this box. And oh my God, it's so good. I've had a good cigar in a while. So why is the media acting this way? Well, we talked about it briefly last podcast, and then I wanted to cover it in depth. Democratic Party sets rules for criticizing Biden's VB pick. 
Hillary Clinton and Valerie Jarrett operatives signed a missive that warns the media messages must be media organizations have just been warned by the Democratic Party machine that they better be very, very careful on how they cover Joe Biden's presidential check pick. Any criticism of the expected will be considered racist and sexist, we are told. Oh, they wrap that threat in a word salad, but that's the bottom line. There should be a second and even third thoughts about any criticism of Mr. Biden's VP pick. An actual memo went out from an ad hoc group of Democratic operatives pretending to be advocates for women to media organizations in the order of how to proceed with their coverage. The fact that they expected the partisan missives to be accepted and adhered to by media entities tells you all you need to know about the problem with today's legacy media. Ranging from covering up for John F. Kennedy, blah, 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 blah. Let's get down to the part. Um, uh, a woman VB candidate, possibly a black or brown woman candidate, requires the same kind of internal consideration about the systemic inequalities as you undertook earlier this year. We are here to help you with this challenge. We intend to collectively and individually monitor coverage, and we will call out those who believe that take our country backwards with sexist and or racist coverage, and we enter another historic moment. We will be watching you. That's what they said. Planned Parenthood, Hillary Rosen, NARAL, Emily's List, they all put it in there. And then you get Jeffrey Tubin. Please note that the words nasty, shrill, and strident are never used to describe a male. Laura Helmuth on Biden VP News, organizations would prepare for deluge of racism and sexism and constantly ask, how are stories framed? What language is used? Are we reinforcing unconscious stereotypes? It's the only way they can win. That's how Obama won. Obama didn't win for new ideas. The country weren't for his fucking ideas. It wasn't what we wanted. It was the fact that you couldn't criticize the guy. You couldn't say shit about him. So he gets to just march to the presidency. And remember, these people didn't want her. This wasn't the candidate they wanted. They wanted Stacey Abrams, a real sister soldier. Or Susan Rice. But Hollywood's all in. LA Times. The bells are tolling. Hollywood celebrity celebrates Kamala Harris and Biden's VP pick. And then you have Jessica Chastain with a fucking doll. Jamie Lee Curtis. And even Marge Simpson came out because saying she sounds like Marge Simpson's, that's racist, sexist, and all sorts of fucked up too. So a lot of kids play with Marvel characters and Barbies and you know, that's fine. But my kid, she plays with superheroes. Hello, Madam Vice President. Now I want to get your thoughts on this big news today. Joe Biden has chosen Kamala Harris as his running mate. What are your thoughts on this? Fantastic news. The best choice. We need leadership, and we need leadership that people already know. We only have, what, uh, under three months till the election. This is a choice of leadership. And if we need anything in this country right now, it's leadership, 
and Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are a dream team. And I know I have been getting tweets and calls by people all day long who are just galvanized and excited and pumped up and ready to go. Uh, yeah, I think for a lot of us here in the studio, it's been the main thing that's made us think we a lot of people won't vote for Trump now. Yes. Like it's it's been the you know, for a lot of us, is that, ah, well, we won't we, but this is really yeah. stumped, I think. This I, is, I know, it, it, it put you over into that That's problem, it. But I actually, that's, that's the one. Uh, I think that uh, America is smart, and I think uh, we know what we need, and we're going to go get it. I usually don't get into politics, but the president's senior advisor, Jenna Ellis, just said Kamala Harris sounds like me. Lisa says she doesn't mean it as a compliment. If that's so, as an ordinary suburban housewife, I'm starting to feel a little disrespected. I teach my children not to name call Jenna. I was going to say I'm pissed off, but I'm afraid they bleep it. My God, it's a fucking cult, man. It's a fucking cult. Which brings us to Jamie Lee Curtis. I swear in broad daylight, the driver of a red truck had a red cap on with white letters. Conspiracy? Outright attempt at stealing the election by denying the access of the USPS? Let's not let this happen. She saw a fucking postal truck on a fucking flatbed that was broken down. It was a tow truck. And that was the beginning of the postal conspiracies. I had a soundbite. I'm not going to play because we're long today. But all the things they believe, it is just... Crazy. While they're pretending that this is a great candidate and this is who we wanted. Lincoln Project. We approve this message. Anti-Trumpers. Bill Crystal, in which J.V. Lass compares Biden's choice of Camilla Harris to the Colts selecting Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf. Really? Elizabeth Harrington can do it better than I would because I'm just going to stutter today because we have a segment we're about to do that I'm so angry about, I can't think straight. It's amusing to watch the media cast Camelia Harris as some masterful campaigner when she had to drop out of the primary before voting even started because she was losing so badly, badly in her home state. Spread a total hoax as a modern-day lynching while not even aware of the details of what you're calling a modern-day lynching and never apologize. Must be a Democrat. Because she was... A Jesse Small letter. Then we have the cover. Molly Hemingway. The newsletter of the left is working overtime to promote its party ticket. Harris Jones buying ticket achieving a first with this perfect picture. You know, if you go back to the old archive of this show, the subtle biases in our media are unbelievable. If you really think about it, you've never seen a good picture of Trump. You've seen bad pictures. And if you go, I'm going to go through this list. Somebody put it up here. Uh, Every picture they have of her and Biden and the placement is totally different for when it's conservatives. You have uh, the New York Times. Turkey is battlefield and coup attempt on the far right. Lower part above the fold barely a one-inch picture, Trump picks VP Pence. Clinton names a senator as a vice president pick, top of the page. 
LA Times pretty psyched too. All Black Lives Matter. The ambitious Madam Vice President Camilla Harris graces the cover of Wednesday's Washington Post. Harris named first black woman to run for VP. There's no white people in that picture. It's all black people. They were sending the statement. The New York Times from 2008 front page following McCain selection. Alaska is McCain's choice. First woman on GOP ticket. That's how they did it. And it's a horrible picture of her in an awkward position. Laura Cates. Really, does this sound like a VP candidate for the whole country? What exactly happens to the Trump supporters once they're rounded up? After we impeach, we round up the Trump supporters. And once he's gone and we have regained our rightful place in the White House, look out if you supported him and endorsed his action. Because you'll be, we'll be coming for you next. You will feel the vengeance of a nation. No stone will be left unturned as we seek you out in every corner of this great nation. For it is you who have betrayed us. Senator Camilla Harris, fundraiser for criminal justice reform, April 30th, 2020. So she's for burning you in the street. And then I had another soundbite. What the fuck? We'll just play it and listen at the same time. Here's CNN propaganda. Come on, computer. Don't embarrass me. You're brand new. Should open right up. You're a brand new computer. I thought Kamala Harris gave a fantastic speech. She absolutely nailed it. I think this is one of the finest performances uh, I've seen her uh, deliver in terms of a speech. She has tremendous range as a speaker. There are times uh, when she's incredible. All right, I'm not doing it anymore. Do you remember just a while ago? She's a horrible candidate. Do we remember that? When CNN was defending Biden? Then you have MSDNC. Phony is a very gendered term that we use to present women in power in an unfavorable light. There's something fake about them, Jennifer Palmari said about a Trump campaign attack on Senator Harris. It's a very old trope. Yeah, she was Harris. She was uh, Hillary's. Heather Champion. Hey, Jen, I'm a girl too, and I think girls are just as able as boys to be called phony. In fact, Jen, you're pretty phony. (laughs) And then you have... The press conferences. I'm going to play these back to back to back. Press conference one, press conference two, and a part of an interview. Not once did they answer a question. The second time, she's writing, acting like she's signing things and shoes them off. And this interview, the very first interview of the vice president candidate for the Democrats, it's pretty much what you'd think it would be because they're just going to carry him to the finish line. We all know President Trump's political style is not so much to debate opponents as it is to troll them, deploying playground insults and childish nicknames to paint a vivid picture in the public mind. But in Kamala Harris, he's got a complex and accomplished opponent that he can't really seem to pin down yet. But he's trying. In a scattershot approach to tearing down Kamala Harris, President Trump unleashed an array of insults, highlighting her failed run for the top spot on the Democratic ticket. I watched your poll numbers go boom, 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 down to almost nothing. And she left angry. She left 
mad. He also went back to his old playbook, resorting to a familiar sexist jeer for his new competitor, calling the senator nasty, trying to portray her as too far left for the country. She is a disaster. She's going to be a disaster, I think, for their party. Uh, she started off strong. She is super liberal. I heard, actually, she's the most liberal person in all of Congress. But so far, Republicans have struggled to land a punch. There has been criticism already of Kamala Harris, and many feel that it, some of the remarks have been sexist. Do you worry about racism and sexism affecting this race? How should Senator Harris and their campaign respond to these kinds of attacks? Well, the culture is sort of primed to be racist, it's primed to be sexist. Will Donald Trump's racism be an even bigger issue in this campaign moving forward? He has so often employed uh, racially incendiary language. As well as sexist language. They won't even hide it. Uh, it's going to be uh, racial, misogynistic, <laughs> racist tropes that have already been coming out. Misogynist and sometimes racist attacks. Racist and sexist attacks. Those attacks play directly into racist and sexist stereotypes. They're going to throw the kitchen sink at Kamala Harris. It'll be uh, laced with racism. 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 And sexism. 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 In the way that we have come uh, to see this president. That's not sexism we're even getting at. That is thinly, barely veiled racism. Susan Rice, Gretchen Whitmer, any of the finalists, they were going to be getting a, a volley of sexist, and in the case of Susan Rice, certainly in Kamala Harris, they were going to get a lot of racist attacks, and it's already... What do you make of some of the sort of um, hostile trial balloons that are floated by middle-aged conservative white guys saying, like, well, she's not really an African-American, let's not get all excited about this. What, what possible value could there be to that kind of um, take by these people on Kamala Harris, a, 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 a woman of color in America. Why would they say that? There is no value to this. People are always trying to figure out who you are. Well, sometimes we have to identify ourselves. Yes, she is a woman of color, but she identifies as a black woman. Do you think this is more uh, important of a decision than other presidents have made in the past, or presidential candidates, I mean, have made in the past? Each moment in history has its significance, but this is a defining moment in history. This is something that the history books will chronicle, and people will look at this moment to see how to navigate for the future. But at the end of the day, Kamala Harris is the She's the former uh, attorney general for the largest state in the nation. Um, she, she has, she's someone who doesn't take tea for the fever. She can fight anyone at any moment. She can knock down the hardest or the staunchest uh, person who's against the Biden-Harris ticket or against the American public because she is standing next to Joe Biden saying she's part in trying to make this we the people who are still trying to form a more perfect union go. She sees that this is a moment that we are in the midst of, what is it, growing pains. And she wants to pull it out. She wants to stand behind and with Joe Biden to fulfill what this nation needs. And one of the key pieces, the priorities for this administration, is trying to create race, uh, race equity. Uh, and they also want to stop systemic racism. So that's one of the priorities. And they believe that she is the one to help do this. I mean, this is a historic time. We cannot compare it to... Obama, Obama, Biden, we cannot compare it to uh, Clinton, Gore. 
This moment stands for itself. Kamala Harris comes from the middle of the road, moderate wing of the Democratic uh, Party, not the first choice of progressives, but Joe Biden banking that this historic move as the first woman of color on a national ticket will overcome that. And it is game on. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris will receive a public health briefing today on the coronavirus as their campaign kickoff made clear President Trump's handling of the pandemic will be a central focus of their attacks. And Kamala Harris will be a major weapon in prosecuting that case. It was a rollout unlike any other, with the new running mates addressing a small group of reporters and campaign staff in a high school gym in Delaware while remaining socially distant. Biden praising Harris as an ideal governing partner, calling her smart, tough and experienced. She knows how to make the hard calls. She's ready to do this job on day one. They also underscored the historic moment. With the COVID-shortened campaign now in full swing, the Democrats delivered a scathing indictment of Donald Trump's presidency. America is crying out for leadership. Yet we have a president who cares more about himself than the people who elected him. The new team is already playing up their partnership, with Biden tweeting this image of the candidates dressed almost identically in blue suits with the caption, Let's get to work, Kamala Harris. Have you been hey guys, come on, thank you. Come on, guys. Senator. Thank Senator, you, guys. Have you been come on, you guys. Come on, let's go. Come on, thank you. Come on, guys, thank you. Um, so I'm just wondering about your thoughts on how this moment intersects with your own historic candidacy. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, if you become the first female vice president in the history of this country, what specifically can we expect you to fight for, for the women of this country? Everything. Uh, I also wonder, you know, now that you've been tapped for this, for this role, I wonder if that changes your own ambitions for your political future. What, is, what, what does this mean for, for other women across the country who may be thinking about their political ambitions and what is possible? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, the bitch was that Trump wasn't doing enough press conference after they told him he shouldn't be doing press conferences after they broke away from press conferences? They've already broke away from real news to air every fucking syllable, whatever these chimps say. And I said chimps. Both of them are chimps. It's not a racial inflection. Kelly O'Donnell had the fucking balls to say it. Now it's time for Joe Biden and Camilla Harris to take question reporters. They decline. This is the 18% of America who are incredibly pieces of shit. Steve, the video shows Biden answering some random questions that sounded annoyed. Then his angry handler swooped in and made you leave. Let me add, now it's time for reporters to stop embarrassing themselves and the profession of journalism, the way they handle the questions of Donald Trump and his Faux press conferences. Deborah Moore, they don't need to answer questions. Go ask Trump hard questions and don't let him lie all the damn time. Very few journalists are doing what, frankly, it's embarrassing. Trump losing the election and we will not forget how the press acted during this time. We're going to come after you in every corner and kill you. Trump rarely answers questions, even more rarely, honestly and kindly. I've never seen you bitching about that. Joe loves to be in the spotlight and answer questions, but he and Camelia are working together for the first time. Give him a goddamn minute. Expat Southerner, time for you to retire. Leave our nominees to determine how best to campaign. They don't want to step on their key message today about a mandate to wear masks. 
Another one. Now is the time for you to ask real questions of Pence, Trump, and McKinney. And it goes on and on. You shut your fucking mouth. You just shut the fuck up. And there's a shitload of questions. Ron Johnson is a huge threat. Just about his son. But what about Tara Reid? What about Obama spying? What about violence? What about cops? What about borders? Do you believe that everybody should lose all their weapons? Do you believe that? He's been asked nothing. This entire life. Because they're not going to. They want to just let him limp to the election. Because they just hate Trump. Another music break. This is going to be a two-part podcast. I didn't realize that was this long. We'll do Woke on a separate. And we're going to go into the part that just fucking angers me on a level. I can't even articulate. I'm just angry. Just fucking angry. So, for the music break, we're going to play uh, Media Hate that gets us into our violent left section. Because, in my opinion, it's the media that's making people do crazy, evil shit. Attorney General William Barr would have you believe that the Black Lives Matter movement is just a vehicle for anti-fascist boogeyman Antifa and other nondescript violent agitators who are somehow also fascistic. Despite Barr's claims, the Washington Post reports there have been no arrests or solid proof connecting Antifa, which again stands for anti-fascists, to violence at Black Lives Matter protests. To the contrary, only members of the far-right group, the Boogaloo Boys, have actually been arrested for inciting violence, including charges of murder. In other words, the guy whose job it is to know better appears more concerned with blaming leftist groups and pro-Black Lives Matter groups instead of looking at his own ideological backyard. I find it very ironic because fascism involves the reverence for a secular leader who's almost treated in a godlike fashion. That actually literally describes the way that William Barr treats Donald Trump. Um, what do you make of his accusations against the left? Yeah, you know, his um, statement yesterday to Fox News, it was a painful 40 minutes to watch, and it was a real study in propaganda. I frankly think it would make Kim Jong-un blush. Yeah, I think um, he would like to uh, create a theocracy where everyone in this country worships his God and attends his church and practices his religion. Um, so I really think he has a goal, and I think his goal really involves two priorities. One is creating a theocracy, making this an inhospitable case, a place for all other religions or people who choose not to uh, to practice religion. And I think he's also looking to consolidate power in the chief executive because he has this notion of a unitary, all-powerful executive as king, which fortunately the Supreme Court just shot down. I was thinking about asking Gene Robinson if he wanted to like go on a road trip with me, you know, kind of maybe we bring a video camera, do like a buddy movie, maybe a documentary, oh, Gene God. and Joe's Excellent Adventure. Or we could go oh, up to Canada. Poor Gene. And then I realized oh, we they can't, don't Joe. let we can't. our types in Canada. Americans not allowed to I go know. there. But I then, know. Gene, and we were talking, Gene, about getting on a boat. And going to the Bahamas, because the Bahamas lets anybody in, lets any American in with money. They even let me in. And then, Jane, we can't even go to the Bahamas. Our money's not welcome there. I mean, seriously, did you ever think, Gene, 
in, in all of your years that the United States of America would be in such a poor condition, a third world condition when it came to health care uh, 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 and the government's handling of a pandemic that we wouldn't be able to go to other countries. It's just appalling and, and shocking, really, that we're in this position. But this is where we are. We are pariahs. We are, we are the asshole country that, uh, that, yeah. that nobody wants people from. That's us. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Police don't win, and I said, baby, they don't, because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach them all. I don't give a fuck. It's my body. It's realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Thing left, and that's the tragedy. I couldn't agree more. And it's our biggest city. You know, we shouldn't let it degrade, but we are. Melissa Francis, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's great to see you tonight. Thanks. An awful lot of crime and violence going on right now. We try to highlight it, not for ghoulish reasons, but because we think it's important you know what's actually happening. This one's particularly horrifying. The killing of a five-year-old boy shocked North Carolina, not getting a lot of national news coverage. Rick Leventhal has that story for us tonight. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tucker, this wasn't a kid caught in the crossfire, a victim of some random drive-by. This was a little boy playing on his bicycle with his seven- and eight-year-old sisters nearby shot point-blank in the head. Funeral services are being held this hour in Wilson, North Carolina, for five-year-old Cannon Hinnant, who was supposed to start kindergarten this week. Witnesses say Cannon was playing on his bike in front of his dad's house Sunday afternoon when a man walked up, put a gun to his head, and pulled the trigger. Arriving officers and EMS attempted life-saving efforts and took the boy to the hospital, but Cannon could not be saved. The suspect, 25-year-old Darius Sessoms, was arrested Monday and charged with first-degree murder. He lived next door and reportedly may have been angered because Cannon rode his bike on Sessoms' lawn earlier in the day. Cannon's mom wrote on Facebook, My baby didn't see color. My baby made sure you knew he loved you, even if he only knew you five minutes. I don't care what damn color you were. And his grandmother asked, When are we going to write Children's Lives Matter on Hollywood Boulevard? Sessoms, who neighbors say had dinner with Cannon's father the night before the shooting, has a criminal record with firearms and drug convictions. Cannon's mom says she hopes Sessoms rots in hell. Tucker. Boy, what a depraved story. Rick Leventhal, thanks so much. Sure. This story is fucking horrible. And as I went around the net, the left literally had people saying... Well, maybe we should see what, there's more information. What did the father say? Or look at these conservatives. They only care about a kid when it's killed by a black person. 
That's how they handled a five-year-old boy getting shot by a man executed on his bike in front of his sisters. George Floyd has had 95 funerals. He had a gold-plated casket. He was buried like a secretary of state. It took two days until the funeral before CNN even covered this story. And no mainstream network even touched it. The very few sound bites you're going to hear, I had to scrounge from local networks. And to date, the only person to cover it is Tucker Carlson. On Sunday, 25-year-old black male Darius Sessom allegedly murdered 5-year-old Cannon Hinnett, who was white, in Wilson, North Carolina, from the boy's two young sisters. Sessom, who lived in the next house over for the victim's father, ran across the lawn to Hinnett and shot him in the head at point-blank range as his two sisters, ages 7 and 8, looked on. Hinnett was in the front yard riding his bike. The boy's father, too distraught to speak to local news on camera, was heard screaming after the shooting. The man rushed out to hold his bleeding son before Hinnett was rushed to a nearby medical center where he pronounced dead. Sessom took off in a black vehicle after the shooting was not apprehended until Monday by U.S. Marshal Service Carolina region. The suspect has been charged with first-degree murder and is being held without bond at the Wilson County Jail. During a court hearing on Tuesday morning, the report noted Sessom said he planned to hire his own lawyer and rejected an attempt to have a judge appoint him an attorney. Our neighbor saw it, one neighbor recalled, according to ABC 11 Eyewitness News. She said he, Sesum, just, the young man just walked up to the little boy who was just sitting on his bike. I just don't understand why he did it. How can you walk up to a little boy point blank and put a gun to his head and just shoot him? How can anyone do that? The suspect reportedly had dinner with the family victim, a victim's, victim's, fam, victim's family on Friday night. Two nights before the shooting, according to WRAL.com, and Sesson was over the family's house the afternoon preceding the murder. The report noted that the shooting was not an accident. The five-year-old, according to the family, loved to ride his bike and loved animals. He was supposed to start kindergarten next week. The murder comes as our nation has seen months of unrest over George Floyd. Officer said that blah, 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 blah. the location of the shooting was in a parking lot across the street from the now I burned out Wendy's. We need justice for five-year-old Cannon Hinnett, who was murdered in cold blood, said author and political pundit Ryan Gagurski. Say his name like they do. Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, five-year-old Cannon Hinnett, was executed in cold blood when riding his bike. The accused killer, Darius Sessom, he allegedly walked up to the boy and shot him dead. Reverse the races is the only thing anyone talks about. For a month. For a month. For a month. It would be nonstop. That's all we'd hear. You go to the local news. Family members of friends gathered Tuesday, Thursday evening to honor the life of Cannon Hinton, five-year-old, tragically shot and killed while riding his bike in Wilson last week. More than 100 cars filled the funeral and parking lot. Nearby places, family, loved ones, strangers all showed up to lift Cannon during an unthinkable time. Merrill Race, Cannon's grandfather, spoke to ABC 11, expressed his pain and disbelief. We shouldn't even be here, 
Race member the local Guardians of Children described the grandson as a beautiful kid. Lee Parker, Cannon's stepfather, said he helped raise money, helped raise the boy with his wife, Bonnie Waddle. He meant the world to me, just like all other kids that are mine I helped raise. Parker called getting the phone call on August 9th, learning Cannon had been shot, allegedly by a neighbor. He went on to say it shook him to his core. I reviewed the call, man. I received the call, man. I was riding down the road. And I just blacked out. Couldn't even think for a few seconds. Couldn't register it. Since Sunday, Cannon's death has garnered national. Since Cannon's death has garnered national attention. No, it hasn't. Conservatives have put it on Twitter. People all across the world have been using several hashtags with Cannon names, sending prayers, words of encouragement, and monetary donations. From Australia, Ohio, Colorado. I mean, it doesn't stop. It's all around the world. Darius Sessom, 25, is in jail and no bond facing first-degree murder charge. Wilson Police Department will not, has not released any information regarding a motive. That's evil. I never met this guy in my life, but this is one evil dude. He's there where he should be. Race and Parker said their family's missing a loving, free-spirited young boy who will be deeply missed and impossible to replace. That's a local article. Next one. Crime online. Mama boy shot in the head while riding bikes says she's getting threats. Wants killer to burn in hell. The mother, North Carolina boy who lost his life earlier this week, vows to get justice against a man who allegedly shot him in the head at point blank range. As Crime Online previously reported, the U.S. Marshal Service got him. Court officials, the shooting happened at 5.33 p.m. on Sunday at 100 Archers Road in Wilson. Family members told police that Cannon was outside on his bike playing with sisters. Age 8 and 7 when Session walked up to the boy, pointed a gun in the head, and pulled the trigger. First responder rushed, but he was pronounced dead. A neighbor said that Sesum had dinner with Cannon's father, Austin, the night before the shooting. Sesum went back to Austin's home early in the day on Sunday. WRL reports that Doris Liber and a neighbor who witnessed the shooting saw Sesum run backwards to his house after putting a gun to Cannon's head. My first reaction was he was playing with the kids. For a second, I thought, that couldn't happen. People don't run across the street and kill kids. Cannon's mother, Bobby Waddle, posted on Facebook Monday that she vowed to get justice of the piece of her heart was taken from her. I will burn this country down if it's what all it'll, it'll take to see this man burn in hell. I'm ready to flip this country upside down, she wrote. This was not because my baby was riding a bike. Don't let social media and news fool you. Full quote. We will get our justice and I'm take, taking every damn buddy down right with him. Please ride the roads. Keep your eyes out. My other kids are in danger as threats were made. This scumbag is not far. Cannon was always telling everybody he loved them. Asked the SOB who took my baby. He knew my child and just how sweet and innocent and loving he was too. Sesum later fled. Reported that the Cannon family members said they knew Sesum, who lived next door to the child's family for years. We used to play together. I never thought he'd kill someone. A mother now has to lay her son to arrest a five-year-old, which she never should have to do. He'll never be very forgotten, said Rachel Pimpick. Meanwhile, he made a brief appearance at court. And they're not talking about shit. What other articles could I find? Well, here's the son, foreign, the U.S. son. Who is five-year-old Cannon Hinton? And why is Darius Sessom accused of killing him? 
An officer put his knee on the back of somebody's head and he killed a man. Even though there's no medical proof that he did. We burned down fucking cities. They won't even say he's black. But the media will say Latino officers who are involved in shooting are white. A white Hispanic. We've heard that. White Hispanic. Their story. Kenneth was described as just a loving kid after shooting death over the weekend. His mother said the child who was set to start kindergarten money had the biggest heart. Since the fatal shooting, say his name, Cannon Hinton started trending on Twitter with people outraged at his death. Police have accused Cannon's neighbor, Sesame, of killing the boy. Child's playing with his two sisters, watching the one he apparently rode in Sesame's yard, located Wilson, located roughly 50 miles from Raleigh. Sesame then allegedly shot the boy while Cannon's sisters, aged 7 and 8, watched. The neighbor told WRAL that Sesame lives next to Cannon's dad, and so the two men had dinner on Saturday night. The neighbor said Sesame was at Cannon home early today. I know it's annoying to hear me puff on the cigar, but the lighter I have down here is dead. <laughs> I can't let this fucker go out. Witness Doran Libraries just ran up to Cannon in the yard over the weekend and put the gun to his head. Sesame allegedly fired his weapon before running back to his own house. Libraries said, my first reaction is he's playing. For a second, I thought this couldn't happen. People don't run across the street. Witness said she realized the gun was real when she saw Cannon's father reaction to what happened. There's a picture of the bike and everything. Library says you ran inside, called 911. You don't expect somebody to shoot someone. The family reporting knew Sesame for many years. He was just a fun-loving kid. He had the biggest heart. She said Cannon had just learned how to write his name. According to his family, Cannon loved his bikes. He had a beautiful smile. I never thought he'd kill someone. A mother now has to lay her son. Same stuff. Money Town made paid tribute to Cannon. So his heart broke. Uh, police said Monday that they arrested Sesame first degree murder of his custody at the local police department and members of the U.S. Marshall Carolina Regional Fugitive Task Force. He's currently being held without bond. Per the Wilson Times, Sesame was convicted in March 2016 of felony larceny of firearms. So he shouldn't have had a fucking gun. But we don't prosecute that. We just make more gun laws. In April 2016, he was convicted of misdemeanor maintaining a place for controlled substance and felony marijuana. He's a winner, winner, chicken dinner. Cannon's family has said Sesame arrest doesn't bring their boy back, but his arrest is allowing them to start from the shooting. How do I donate to hit it? They shoot that. that that's it. That's it. Those are stories. That's it. CNN's 25-year-old man shoots 5-year-old boy. Not once do we say the race. And does it matter? Yes! If you're saying the whole fucking world is racist and all white people are out doing goddamn KKK runs every night and every fucking cop is lynching black people, even the black cops, why wouldn't you say it? If I... Walked across the street and shot my neighbor's kid, who is African American, they adopted. CNN would run it at nauseum. We would hear, This is America 2019. But a beautiful five year old boy from North Carolina, they give 
no fucks. Here's the only sound bites I can find. They're all local news. New tonight, a neighbor is charged with first-degree murder and being held without bond, accused of shooting a five-year-old boy to death while he played outside. WR's Wesley Federer joins us live from Wilson after talking with a woman who saw this heartbreaking crime take place. Rosalia? A neighbor did. She was sitting inside looking out her window, and she witnessed firsthand a little boy get shot in the head by his neighbor. We talked to her exclusively. She tells us she could not believe what she saw. People don't run across the street and kill kids. Sitting in this chair with a clear view of five-year-old Cannon Hinnon and his siblings playing outside, Doris LeBrent could not believe what she saw. My first reaction was he's playing with the kids. And when I saw him just ride right up to him and put the gun right on his head and shot him. She says 25-year-old Darius Sessoms shot five-year-old Cannon while he was playing outside. It's almost like seeing a movie and then almost it dawns you it's not a movie. LeBrett says Sessoms' parents have lived on Archer's Road in Wilson around 28 years and she's seen Sessoms over at Cannon's father's house before. There was no yelling, screaming. Cannon's siblings watched their five-year-old brother get shot. LeBrett says his dad, Austin, was close by. Austin flew out of that house and screaming and picked him up. They'll never get over it. Now everyone is left asking the same question. Why would that make him go over and kill the kid is what I want to know. Cannon's grandmother tells us they're happy to know Sassam is in jail, but they're still devastated, of course. A long road ahead for this family and the community. Gerald? Oh, the boy was such a bright light. This is so difficult to hear. Rosalia Federa, live in Wilson. Thank you. And we begin with breaking news this afternoon. Within the past 20 minutes, we learned the suspect accused of shooting and killing a five-year-old boy is now in police custody. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm David Crabtree. And I'm Deborah Morgan. W.R.L. Sloan Heffernan spoke with the child's grieving family today. She's live at the scene in Wilson. Sloan? Deborah and David, there is a lot of relief in this neighborhood tonight now that the suspect is in police custody. Neighbors tell us that they witnessed what happened here last night. The shooting happened at this house. The suspect lives right next door at this house. One neighbor across the street tells us that the two had dinner together Friday night and that the suspect was even over at the victim's house yesterday afternoon. Later on in the evening at around 5.30, that neighbor tells us that the suspect came running across the lawn, came up to the little boy who was on the bike, and shot him in the head. His two sisters looking on. The question tonight, why? Five-year-old Cannon Hinnon loved to ride his bike and loved animals. His mother tells us he was always smiling and loved his family. Now the family is preparing for his funeral after they say he was shot in the head while playing outside at his father's home on Archer Road in Wilson at around 5.30 Sunday night. Police say 25-year-old Darius Sessoms, a neighbor, shot the child and it was not an accident. The reason is still unclear. Police believe the suspect took off in this black Toyota Corolla without a front bumper. Cannon's family was too distraught to talk on camera. 
They just hope the killer is brought to justice. And I just got off the phone with the child's grandmother, and she says the family is happy to hear this news. They are just devastated over the loss of this child. The suspect in this case has been brought from Goldsboro to Wilson and will now face first-degree murder charges. We will continue to work to get more information to find out what led to this murder. Back to you. Boy, Sloan, that question of why is just a heavy one tonight. Sloan Heffernan, live in Wilson. Thank you. They, they can't imagine what it's like to hold your son while he's suffering from a gunshot wound to the head as his blood run down my arm. Um, as he begins to work on my son, I immediately drop to my knees and I just pray to God. I, I say, God, you're the most righteous and all-powerful. Please just place your hand on my son. And that's to the top of my lungs. Um, he did place his hand on my son, not in the way we all wished. But we're hoping that this tragic accident can bring some love to this world because that's what Canada wants. Uh, uh, we're relying on our faith in God. Police say 25-year-old Darius Sessoms, a neighbor, shot the child, and it was not an accident. The reason is still unclear. Cannon's family was too distraught to talk on camera. They just hope the killer is brought to justice. Our neighbor saw it. Um, she said he just, the young man just walked up to the little boy who was sitting on his bike. I just don't understand why he did it. I, 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 how can you walk up to a little boy point blank and put a gun to his head and just shoot him? Uh, how can anyone do that? New tonight, a neighbor is charged with first-degree murder and being held without bond, accused of shooting a five-year-old boy to death while he played outside. WR's Wesley Federa joins us live from Wilson after talking with a woman who saw this heartbreaking crime take place. Rosalia? A neighbor did. She was sitting inside looking out her window, and she witnessed firsthand a little boy get shot in the head by his neighbor. We talked to her exclusively. She tells us she could not believe what she saw. People don't run across the street and kill kids. Sitting in this chair with a clear view of five-year-old Cannon Hinnon and his siblings playing outside, Doris LeBrent could not believe what she saw. My first reaction was he's playing with the kids. And when I saw him just ride right up to him and put the gun right on his head and shot him. She says 25-year-old Darius Sessoms shot 5-year-old Cannon while he was playing outside. It's almost like seeing a movie and then almost it dawns you it's not a movie. LeBrant says Sessoms' parents have lived on Archer's Road in Wilson around 28 years, and she's seen Sessoms over at Cannon's father's house before. There was no yelling, screaming. Cannon's siblings watched their five-year-old brother get shot. LeBrant says his dad, Austin, was close by. Austin flew out of that house and screaming and picked him up. They'll never get over it. Now everyone is left asking the same question. Why would that make him go over and kill the kid is what I want to know. Cannon's grandmother tells us they're happy to know Sassam is in jail, but they're still devastated, of course. A long road ahead for this family and the community. Gerald. The boy was such a bright light. This is so difficult to hear. Rosalia Federa, live in Wilson. Thank you.
This summer, there are still places to go. Family to hug, people to see. It's a new kind of summer, but it's summer. Go, seize it with Infinity Now. Service test drives purchase and leasing that comes to you during the Infinity Summer Event. Get 0% APR for up to 72 months on all new 2020 models, plus no payments for 90 days. Tonight, a local community coming together to grieve the loss of a little boy who eyewitnesses say was shot and killed at point-blank range while riding his bike. Cannon Hennett was just days away from starting kindergarten, but instead his loved ones gathered this evening to say goodbye. Michael Lozano speaking with family members. He is live in Wilson with more. Michael. Hey, Tisha. Well, yeah, this family is heartbroken. They've all left here from the funeral home. They had the funeral service earlier this evening. We saw it in the family's faces. We heard it in their voices. They are devastated by what happened, and especially because their son was just riding his bike on a summer evening. Cannon was a beautiful kid. And you see a smile on his face, that's where it was. And for this to happen, we shouldn't even be here. A grandfather and his family coming to grips with the shocking loss of five-year-old Kenan Hennig. At this evening's funeral service, more than 100 cars filled several parking lots. The Wilson community standing by the family during an unthinkable time. In the world, it was just like all the other kids that I, that's mine and I helped raise. Lee Parker was Cannon's stepfather. He tells Eyewitness News he was shaken to his core when he heard that a neighbor allegedly shot Cannon while he was riding his bike outside of his home. He received a call, man. I, I was riding down the road. I just blacked out. Couldn't even think for a few seconds. Took a minute to register. Cannon's death garnering national attention. People all across the world hashtagging his name, also sending prayers and words of encouragement to the family. People have done for us all around, from Australia, Ohio, Colorado. I mean, it don't stop. Tonight, 25-year-old Darius Sessoms is in jail on no bond, facing a first-degree murder charge. Cannon's grandfather angered that anyone would do this to a kid just being a kid. That's evil. I, I never met this guy in my life, but that is one evil dude. To do that, he's where he should be. A loving, free-spirited young boy who was set to start kindergarten this week. Now the family is left trying to fill a hole they say will be impossible to replace. Try to get this. It'll never be behind us. He's always be with us, but we, we're going to get through it. Wilson police still do not have a motive at this evening. The family says they are grateful for the support they are seeing nationwide, worldwide, and right here in the community of Wilson. They are saying that right now it's about just trying to move forward and heal. I'm live in Wilson, Michael Lozano, ABC 11 Eyewitness News. It's unfucking believable. It's unbelievable. And it's not the first, and it's not the last. I would expect national fucking coverage on this if the kid was black and the shooter was white. If the white was a fucking Martian and the kid was from fucking Venus, it should be front page news. Because if you're going to take a guy like George Floyd with a criminal record who was fucking high on fentanyl-laced methanol, or methamphetamines, and he was probably going to fucking die anyway, and you're going to burn the whole country down for political purposes, you can say his name. You can at least cover the story. But they don't cover any of it. They won't cover that the Oregon State Police has left after day fucking 81. Because we're segueing out because I'm just, I don't even want to talk about this. 
This this story will never be released. We will never know why he killed that kid. Just like we don't know why the Las Vegas shooter did it, because it didn't fit the liberal narrative. Like we don't know anything about the guy who shot up a baseball field. Remember that? We'll march for our lives like a bunch of goddamn fucking robots for a school shooting. But a five-year-old kid who's white... I didn't hear every town. Moms against violence. They didn't cover it. Shooters white. Shooters black. Can't cover that shit. Moving on. So the Oregon State Police have left. And this is why. Uh, Multnomah County DA announced that a presser today. His office will not prosecute felony riot, escape, harassment, interfering with an officer, criminal trespass, and more. Charges of assault of an officer will be subject to high scrutiny. The new policy from the Multnomah County DA, Mike Schmidt, makes it easier to get away with rioting, resisting arrest, escape, harassment, assault, and more in Portland. Yeah. Because why would we after Day 81? Here's a soundbite of Day 81. Here's a soundbite of fucking Bend, Oregon. A bunch of liberal fucking white kids fucking with police. I used to wrestle there. It's a sleepy little town. It's even got there in Oregon because you're all a bunch of fucking moon bats. And then our soundbite of the fucking day, really. Uh, whites, give up your fucking house. If they're white, got our mouth all right now. You better go call your wife. She's cheating on you with something of that size. <laughs> <laughs>
Then we got this winner, winner, chicken fucking dinner. I don't give a fuck if they smash up a Gucci. It's about social justice, yo. I don't care if somebody decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike because that makes sure that that person eats. That makes sure that that person has clothes. That makes sure that that person can make some kind of money because this city obviously doesn't care about them. Not only that, that's reparations. In front of the first police district, members of Black Lives... And of course, our mainstream media, would you cover a bunch of white guys bashing in a charity? You covered white guys getting temperature checks going to the Capitol to protest lockdowns. Those were terrorists. But a bunch of BLM fucking Antifa thugs destroying a Ronald McDonald house. Yeah, that's not national news. Town area along Michigan Avenue and in the Gold Coast, board up crews are hard at work. <laughs> Debris is everywhere, and businesses are still recovering from looting Monday morning. Thousands of people came into downtown in carloads, breaking windows, clashing with police, and causing widespread damage. While a lot of high-end retailers and department stores were hit, not many expected the Ronald McDonald House, a charity for families with children in the hospital, to have their door smashed. They were very concerned because there was a lot of activity right in front of the house uh, and people, you know, making choices that could put them uh, at risk and put our families at risk. So the staff was frightened. Over 30 families and their sick children were inside, along with staff helplessly watching everything unfold outside. They're already in a really, really difficult spot and, and having this kind of um, stress, additional stress, 
and worry about being able to get to and from the hospital, even though we're five blocks away because of safety concerns, is it's just doubling the strain. More than 400 officers were deployed after police learned of a social media post encouraging people to loop business downtown and on the north side. Second Ward Alderman Brian Hopkins believes the city should have been better prepared. It's a recipe for ineffective law enforcement, and that's what we saw uh, with this wide-scale looting where the police officers were largely in a passive posture, letting it happen because they didn't know how to stop it. And in many cases, if they did try to intervene, it was a threat to their own life and safety. In the end, two people were shot, 13 police officers injured, and more than 100 arrests were made. Here at the Ronald McDonald House, thankfully no one was injured. The charity does want to remind the community of Chicago through this pandemic and, of course, through the looting, they are still helping families in need, and they do that through donations, of course. And you can find more information about the Ronald McDonald House on our website at abc7chicago.com. Reporting live here in Streeterville, Diane Matthew, ABC. I mean, my best part is that actual soundbite of I don't care if they loot Gucci because then they'll have clothes, then they'll have food because the city doesn't care about them and doesn't feed them. And the media just... Did you hear that reporter? She was like, members of BLM. It's like, that's just, that's okay statement. There's nothing extreme about that statement. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it at all. That's just a normal statement. But what's wrong with you if you think that's extreme? Looting Gucci. That's just like saving George Floyd from you racist cops. Then you got the WAPO. Antifa propagandists, Washington Post praise violent Portland rioters, stamina, and creativity. A glossy photo essay in the Washington Post reporter Marija J. Lang, because they read the AP one, can't have that, we got to defend Antifa, so they went and cooked their shit up. By flaunting a family of four, a veteran, a mom, flaunting the ridiculous riot gear along with self-righteous quotes they gave to the paper. It's hard not to gag when Lang lovingly describes how Portland's left-wing protest or what Portland does best. Yeah. That's fucking beautiful. And are as natural as the salmon swimming in the Willamette River. Sounding like Antifa publicists, she touted the demonstrations have yielded real results, such as defunding the police and forcing out federal agents. The Post reporter, of course, downplayed the violent methods as just vandalism, of course, before cheering on their stamina and creativity. For weeks, demonstrators directed their anger at the federal courthouse where they broke windows and tagged the building with bright paint. The vandalism grew the attention of Trump, who sent in the federal agent Nazis, but he didn't account for stamina and the creativity of Portland protesters. Moms in yellow shirts and bike helmets folded sunflowers in the iron fence around the federal courthouse. Teachers made signs likening Trump to tyrants and dictators of the past. Military veterans waved flags hung upside down to signal distress and strapped on gas masks and respirators to stare down the front line of federal troops. On a recent night, a middle school teacher wearing Mighty Mouse t-shirt, rainbow striped leggings, and cloth face masks adorned with cherries nodded brightly as she declared, Oh yes, I'm an anarchist. City officials and soccer moms alike readily admit to being Antifa. Yeah. That's our, that's our paper. New York Times is the same thing. Same thing. Elizabeth Harrington, 
We left our country for a future to see the American dream. You work hard, you pay your taxes. We have not done anything wrong. How do the leftists repay Abraham Demag? They sent him a bill after they let his business be destroyed. Democrats destroyed his American dream. Happens to these families. 30 years ago, Abe Dimaj came here with his family from Ethiopia for a better life. This is what's left of it. This is what happened 10 weeks ago at the Minneapolis riots. We work our labor, our sweat in this building that you see here. Abe, uh, I heard that the city had been in touch with you about one issue involving a fence. Yeah, so the city, as you see, is uh, we have, as you see, is a debris, and the insurances always have a cap to what they contribute to it. And uh, the city came in and put this fence, as you see in here, and they send us a bill for $3,700, and we asked them we could not be able, they say they don't have any resource. So the city that you're paying taxes, the city that you're supporting, the community you're building, send you a bill, and you're getting punished again on it? Enough is enough, guys. Let's rebuild this community and stand by us. We left our country for a future to see the American dream. And look at what happened. You work hard, you pay your taxes. We have not done anything wrong. And the peaceful protest hijacked, then, the government said, oh, we're going to back up and build your neighborhood. Where? Where is the safety? Where is the rebuilding? It's 10 weeks. No respond. No respond. Seen tweets of people in the know in New York, Minneapolis, Chicago. Minneapolis alone, 100 businesses. Not reopening. Just not. Byron York from Washington. W.S. Joplin, mayhem continues, protest narratives crumble, looters rampage in Chicago, and arson returns to Portland. The press has been def- playing defense for Portland anarchists for weeks, suggesting riots and arsons against federal courthouse were provoked by federal agents protecting it. When the Trump administration lowered the profile of its agents' agreement with the state government, the media's protest cheerleaders were eager to report the real cause of the violence has gone away. Trump to order federal forces, blah, blah, blah. So much for that. Over the weekend, Portland police were forced to declare two riots on Friday night. People defined or defied orders to disperse through rocks, frozen or hard-boiled eggs, and commercial-grade fireworks at officers. Filled pools, pool noodles with nails and placed them in the road. Caused extensive damage to patrol vehicle. And Saturday night, arsonists set fire inside the Portland Police Union building, and rioters outside landed two officers in the hospital. Peaceful protest. It's Trump's fault. A newsman. The greatest accomplishment of Donald Trump, regardless of your opinion of him personally, is that he has forced the media to expose who they really are to millions of Americans. This will benefit conservatives for generations. Byron York again. Crime spike, mayhem in major cities represent utter failure of progressive democratic policies on public safety. Once threatened, safety is the most fundamental voter concern. Seems like a Republican running for president could make something of that. Unfortunately, it's fucking Trump. Portland, Seattle, Chicago, Minneapolis, New York, others are experiencing breakdown of order. All examples of failure of Democratic leadership. CBS News kind of touched it. Riots declared in downtown Portland and protesters tear gassed. The whole world goes, are they still protesters when they're breaking shit? Is that a protester or a rioter? Which one is it? 
The left's so fucking cuckoo. I'll save it for this America. I'm going to pull that back. Politico laments GOP stoking fear of Black Lives Matter as radical leftist mob. This was mild language compared to the lead. Facing possible electoral calamity, Republicans are now turning to familiar playbook. Stoking fear for trying to redefine BLM movement as a radical leftist mob looking to sabotage the white suburban lifestyle. And labeling a Marxist and anti-family. So once again, when you say the truth, they are Marxist. And they do want to they want to eliminate the American family. You're labeling them. You're a piece of fucking shit. Because facts don't mean shit. Reading their actual shit makes you a fucking racist. But this isn't new. Since the beginning of this movement, our media has been lockstep. Because they believe that Trump is a Nazi. They believe anybody that voted for Trump is a racist, Nazi, un-American piece of shit who wants to kill black people in the street and kill fucking polar bears. I mean, that's just how they look at it. So we've had nothing but glowing pieces about these brave warriors out in the street fighting fascism as they're being fascist. Cop says protester pointed loaded rifle at him, had over 100 rounds of ammo, and one bullet in the chamber. That was another big one in fucking Wisconsin. That the media dropped once they found out the dude pointed the fucking gun at them. Not going to play the soundbite. Schaefer, Civil War battlefields, the left's next target in the war on history. Of course, that would be a pretty notable pick, uh, given the fact that the president over the last couple of months, as we have seen these protests uh, over Black Lives Matter and racism in the United States, uh, the president has taken to defending Confederate generals. So he would, you know, be taking, uh, giving a, a speech for his uh, accepting the nomination here at a site where the Confederates, of course, lost uh, that battle. And Pam, we've reported that President Trump is considering delivering his GOP nomination acceptance speech from the White House, but amid some criticism of that potential venue, the president is now floating another one. This time, he's talking about the hallowed Civil War battlefield in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, but that could be controversial too, particularly because this is a president who has consistently positioned himself as a defender of Confederate symbols and monuments to Confederate generals. Pam? Yeah, that's a fair point to make. It's a fair point to make that the uh, Gettysburg's a Confederate monument. That's a fair point. Yeah, Gettysburg address. Really? Really? Do you guys even care? But it's actually in H.R. 7608. The left is trying as they sneak everything in. They're, they're fucking sneakers. They sneak shit in. They have decided they're going to take down every Confederate monument in America and go to every national Civil War battlefield and take them all down. Last night, I watched Time Team America. Confederate guard, great-great-grandson, Confederate or a Union prisoner, great-great-granddaughter. Both of them there saying how important it was to preserve the history of Fort Lawton in Georgia, which was the Andersonville prisoner of war camp. As Sherman came, they moved them out because they knew they were fucked because they were killing tens of thousands of Union soldiers with poor conditions. 
and me and my wife looked at each other and said, well, this is from 2012. Now, there won't be any history. Because they're going to wipe it all away. This is a Marxist movement. They're just going to wipe it away. And then to make things fucking worse, and, and you have a real, literal, fucking real reporter defending this Tom fucking foolery. Byron York isn't buying ABC News' Jonathan Carl defense of New York Times' desperate attempt to debunk viral videos of Portland Bible burning. <clears throat> New York Times debunks Portland Bible burning story. It wasn't a stack of Bibles, it was just one, or maybe two, and it wasn't only kindling to start a bigger fire. Yes, an American flag was also burned, and yes, the crowd cheered, but it's Russian disinformation. The article... Bible burning video goes viral, a win for Russian disinformation. That's a pause for effect. What the fuck do the Russians have to do with a bunch of Marxists burning Bibles in the American flag in Portland and people actually saying it's real? John Carl. I think the point of the article is making is that the Bible burning was done by just a few people and was unnoticed by most of the protesters. That the video, which portrays the burning as a focus of the protest, was circulated by Russian news agency. Byron York, trying to downplay the incident, also in my view, shows need for New York Times and others to figure out how to present stories that are accurate, even though they have also been exploited by Russian state-affiliated media. Another reply, or the point is that the legacy media has a specific narrative to share instead of stating clear and obvious facts. Uh, Jonathan Snyder, reminder that the lead reporter for our outlet record are defending burning of the Bible and other books just as an isolated incident. Do you remember the motherfucker burning the Koran? That was national news. Florida Pastor, do we remember? Do we remember that during Benghazi, a guy made an anti-Islamic video on YouTube and they arrested him? And the national media said, oh yeah, that's fucking, it's horrible. That's why they attacked the fucking consulate. Knowing it was a lie. But you burned some Bibles. Ah, oh, fucking well, who gives a fuck? And then here's another great media one. Protesters blocking a fucking road. Oh, what's the angle? Oh, man, a poor protester got hit by a deer. Demonstrator was critically injured when she was struck by a deer. This is video tweeted out right before the accident. The woman was marching with a group on a highway in South Brunswick, New Jersey. The deer darted into the crowd, leaving her with a serious head wound. The victim, 69 years old, currently in intensive care. A couple of other people also had less serious injuries. They were treated at the scene. The deer immediately ran off. Yeah, that's the angle. Not that they were blocking a, blocking a fucking highway. It's the deer. That peaceful protester got hit by a deer because Trump. Mike Duranimate, door animated is our last story for this podcast. I'm going to do uh, This Is America on the next one. Very long tweet screed, but I think it's apropos. I've been exchanging messages with friends about what's, what's been happening in our cities, New York, Philadelphia, L.A. especially. A lot of disturbing things are not making the news. Even Republicans aren't drawing attention to it. Here's a message from a friend about life in New York today. 
Here's my neighborhood, Mike. An elderly woman enjoying dinner with his wife at an outdoor restaurant punched in the face. A woman waiting for the subway to come stabbed in the back. An older neighbor paused to catch his breath, told to pay $2 in protection money or get the fuck off that particular street corner. This is just the 10 block radius from where I live in the last six days. Other friends from New York talk about shattered business districts, drugstores with locked shelves, and hundreds of homeless people and parolees, including sex friends in L.A., talk about squatters taking over empty homes in professional-class neighborhoods whose residents fantasize about immigrating to Canada. Friends in all three cities have seen police officers refuse to get out of their cars while large-scale lawbreaking takes place in front of them. That's in addition to the obvious mayhem being perpetrated on a nightly basis in Portland, Seattle, and Chicago. Estimates are that up to 1 million people have already fled New York City. 1 million. Which means everybody with means left. Minneapolis is a smoldering ruin that has sustained untold damage to its immigrant neighborhoods. This is not what I'm reading. This is what I'm hearing from people directly. Make no mistake about it, America is now in the middle of a 70s-style urban crisis whose root is well-founded fear of violent crime and social collapse in the midst of a pandemic. The destructive spiral that has been unleashed by left-wing play-acting and revolution and pursuit of stupid fantasies of abolishing the police is destroying our great cities. And urban residents vote with their feet. We're being left with empty urban shells with no tax base and no meaningful employment. In fact, that businesses of Washington, D.C. and federal government and the national media is now centered here is blinding our society to what actually happened in other big cities across the country. What's happening is this. 30 years of very meaningful social and economic progress in our cities, which has usually benefited minorities, is being undone by toxic coalition of professional ideologues and organizers, rich kids in shade T-shirts, well-cuffed mayors, and National Democratic Party that pretends that the ongoing destruction of minority-owned businesses and the social and economic infrastructure that is a primary engine for raising African-Americans and immigrant families in the middle class is somehow about civil rights or racial inequality. It's not. It is about a war on American middle class being waged from above and below by people whose responses to the values and the struggles of an average American family, hostility and contempt, and who imagine that the threat of a further violence is a crowbar they can use to get Donald Trump out of the White House. Sacrificing American cities on the altar of their political cause may seem bizarre because that's where so many of their voters live, but it's not. Who else are urban liberals going to vote for? Suburbanites can't help but see the destruction of the cities as a harbinger of what could be next for them. The question is, who can protect them? Donald Trump or the people who celebrate the Chaz? I know how I answer the question. Our media is ignoring it completely. And that's why you don't hear about a five-year-old boy shot on his bike. No op-eds on, gee, what the fuck has gone wrong? Not even, why would a black man do this? Not even what you think they'd say. America's so racist, it makes black people go crazy and shoot five-year-old boys. I expected those articles. But I didn't see them. Off to woke section. It's part B. See you on the other side.